on a break back, a double kill for Huey, a check for Huey, I can't believe it, a triple kill, you're gonna win me the ace, Luper is down, CLG, do you believe Kobe? Hello and welcome back everyone to Small Talk Big Brain, where we talk about all the new things in Riot Games esports. I'm your host, Jack Six Cooley, joined here by Vincent Newt Leuzi. Hello there. General Kenobi. Well, we got a great show for you today. Um, first things first, we always dive into the LCS. So uh, Vincent, why don't you take it away? Talk to talk us through this post week four layout of where all the teams are. Yeah. So this is always the interesting thing to me with LCS is in almost every other sport. Um, you get like individual games at a time. So there's one point where you can say that a team is halfway through the season and have some time to talk about it. But in LCS, you really don't have that because it, it's uneven. You play 18 games and, and you, you have this next week is going to be the halfway one game into next week for everyone. So this is kind of the beforehand halfway. So everyone still has to play one more game. Uh, you can kind of predict whether they might win that or not, but LCS is almost halfway. So these standings are essentially halfway standings. Uh, and it's exciting to see a lot of breakup occur from the week before uh, when there were five teams tied at second place. Um, so I'm just going to run down the standings real quick and just say who's where and then we'll get into specific teams. So at the top of the table, you have Cloud9 at eight and zero, uh, undefeated as expected. Tied in second are TSM and Team Liquid at six and two. Then tied in fourth is Evil Geniuses and FlyQuest at five and three. In sole possession of sixth place is CLG at four and four. Sole possession of seventh is G Golden Guardians at three and five. Uh, then it's 100 Thieves at eight at two and six. Immortals at ninth, at one and seven, and then Dignitas in last place at zero oh and eight. Um, so there are some ties at the top of the table, but then it becomes kind of a countdown: five, four, three, two, one, zero. Uh, so we'll start at the top, the tippy top. We'll start at Cloud Nine. Uh, they had a two zero week this week. They're eight and zero. They beat CLG and Dignitas. Uh, why don't Why don't you break down what those games were like, Jack? Well, I mean, they were both pretty big slaughters. Um, I would have to say, I, I guess the CLG and dig games in the beginning of the game, I guess we're kind of close, but really cloud nine just dismantles and takes part almost every team in North America. Um, I think they've actually had a pretty big trend of demolishing one team and then losing in the early game, actually in gold for the first 10 or 15 minutes to another team. Um, and then uh, eventually beating them 20 minutes and onward. And they've actually yep. been replicating that pattern every week. Um, I think this week, it might have been Dig that was the closer game. Um, I can't quite... It, it didn't really, it, it, if, if my memory stands correct, it didn't really happen this week. Yeah. Um, both this games were pretty stompy. You could say that Dignitas was even for a little bit, but... Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. Like, 
you know, the, it was one of those things where the gold is always within 200 and then it fl- kind of flips around a little bit. And then, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't really call that a lead. That's more of like a tie. So I'd say today, this, this week kind of, kind of broke it a little bit, but you know, it, it's, it's still kind of there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess the teams that have been close are Golden Guardians, TL, and FlyQuest, and those are the only teams that have been close uh, to beating Cloud9. Um, all the other games have pretty much been one-sided from the get-go, so that actually makes their matchup this next week pretty exciting against TSM, which will be their last game of the first half of the split. Um, I think TSM keeps getting better every week, uh, which is what me being their fan, I was very hopeful for. Um, but I don't know. I think this is going to be a pretty good game. It could also turn out like the EG game, which I thought was going to be also very good. And then, you know, they picked Cassidin and the rest was history. Um, so. Yeah, it, that could happen. That could that happen. Could happen. <laughs> yeah. But I, I actually think I, I'm really impressed with Cloudman. Like, I, I think we say that GG was close and we say that team liquid was kind of close but golden guardians was never really in a position to win and yeah team liquid had an advantage where it looked like if they you know kept it they would be in a position to win but they there was not a point where i was like oh yeah if team liquid wins this team fight they'll end the game like i don't think team liquid was on the verge of ending at any point um so that's kind of the thing with cloud nine uh and i just wanted to like you know, I know we kind of skip over them every week. We're like, oh, yeah, they 2 owed everybody. And look, someone actually looked kind of good against them. <laughs> um, but I've seen, like, I saw a post about on Reddit about, like, what teams do you think are going to make quarterfinals at Worlds? You know, like a jump forward. And I know mm-hmm. they were like, I know it depends on groups. But since we don't know those, let's just assume no groups who would be your quarterfinalists. And a lot of people didn't have Cloud9 in there. And I think yeah. that's actually some major disrespect. Um, I think because they look so much better than the rest of the teams in NA, they lose credit, I think, because everyone's like, oh, well, NA just must be bad, you know? And, yeah. you know, they probably couldn't beat, like, half the teams in, in Europe, Cloud9, that is. Yeah. And I think that's, like, actually a pretty big misconception. Like, if you think about this TSM team and this Team Liquid team, who are currently tied in second... In any other year, I think these this TSM team and this Team Liquid team would be competing for first. So I think actually what's second place right now that everyone thinks that Cloud9 looks so dominant over is actually what first place normally is and not the other way around where I think some people are thinking Cloud9 is what the best NA team normally looks like and right. everybody else is just worse than NA usually is. Uh, I think that's actually not correct and I think... I'm really excited to see, you know, Worlds come up and Cloud9 play because I think there's no doubt that they'll make it because I actually think it'll be really shocking. I think they they can at least compete with the second seeds from every region. I don't know if they're going to be as good as top esports um, or, I guess, Mad Lions or Rogue, um, mm-hmm. but I think <laughs> everyone else they can really compete with. And I think, um, you know people are like taking credit away from them because they are so dominantly good. And I think that's like the opposite of what you should be thinking. You know, every single game looks so dominant. The more games that they dominate, the better you should think they are, you know? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. That's actually, I was just listening to the, the dive 
10 thoughts from this week um, with Keen Lamb. If you guys don't read 10 thoughts or listen to the dive, check those out. Uh, also pretty good LCS info. Um, but he, what Keen was saying was he was talking about how cloud nine is perceived at worlds and like how they would be perceived. And I think that actually plays into their advantage. What he said was that cloud nine if NA is normally like this cake that you bring to worlds that just absolutely gets smashed, Cloud9 is a similar cake, but with a huge cherry on top, like totally different than anything you've ever seen. Mm -hmm. I think what he's trying to say with that is that they still might not make it to quarterfinals, like some of these places are guessing. Um, but the way that I sort of interpreted that as is like, it's a different cake. Um, it's something new that we're bringing to the table that NA hasn't really done before. I think a lot of NA teams in the past, especially TSM. So like, I, I know this best because I'm a TSM fan. Like <laughs> NA was mainly dominated by really, really safe playing teams that just knew that they were better players. So they felt confident that they could outplay other players on other teams and just wait for a mistake and then eventually win the game. So like, that's how the, the NA, that's how LCS was like defined for a pretty long time. Like once actual standings and stuff came together in season three, probably yeah. up until like season 10, uh, not 10, season seven. Um, that's how the LCS worked. Skill and check. then you had Liquid come in and they were like, okay, no, you actually need to define like a strategy that your team plays around. And for them, it was just playing around bot lane. And like what they did is just every game, their bot lane would win lane. And if they weren't winning lane, they'd get assistance from their jungler. And if that wasn't working, they'd get assistance from their mid laner. And if that wasn't working, they'd get assistance from their top laner. And once all five people were bot lane, they knew they were going to win because they're already early game team fighting. They're going to take all your turrets so that you can't contest uh, objectives. And then you're just going to eventually win the game. And that's how Team Liquid won four championships in a row in NA, but couldn't really do anything internationally because you only have one strategy. And Sorry, but Doublelift's not Uzi, and you're not playing the same way that Uzi plays. So that's the only person we've ever seen really compete at a high, high, like almost world's championship caliber level uh, playing through bot lane. And no other team has really been able to make that work. Um, so that's why I'm so excited for this iteration of TSM, is because this iteration of TSM is positioned like 2017 TSM, where all the teams back then were just like, oh, we're just better than you, so we should wait. Now they're put in this meta where all the teams have gotten better and all the individual players have gotten better. And that's coupled with the fact that they have multiple people who can carry. So they can't, they can technically fall back to uh, Team Liquid will play through Doublelift this game, like, let's do it. But they also have, okay, Broken Blade has showed that he could carry. Like, he has Kiana games, he has Aatrox games that are, like, top-tier level. Um, and even Vlad games that are top level. And you have Bjergsen who can carry. Like, he's shown that he could carry since Season 3. Um, sure, he hasn't done it as often. But, like, you have a team made up of all these different win conditions that you can play to that I think, since they're already 6-2, and two, they can just start messing around with different team compositions and try to find a few different strategies that work. So I, I think that TSM and Cloud9 are very unique in the fact that I think Cloud9 has a really refined style around mid-jungle, and TSM has a lot of opportunities to find different strategies that could work in the same meta. 
Right. And I, I think just to go back to Cloud9 in a minute and for what, what we talked about about previous NA teams, I actually even think that the Team Liquid style of play was a, a form of sitting back and skill checking. Um, right. Because instead of doing it with their whole team, like old NA rosters used to be do, they found a way to be able to do that with a singular person, which meant it was like more reliable because double lift is more reliable to be able to skill check than impact, you know, and, right. and you no longer had to, Oh, well, we'll just skill check everybody. You, they, they would draft and specifically play the game to only skill check against double lift. And to be honest, like nobody was really able to consistently skill check against double lift and win because he was just that good. And right. I'm not saying he can't be that good again. I don't, I don't think he is right now. Um, but I think what you see from this Cloud9 team is they're not waiting to get waiting for you know the other NA teams to m- make a mistake and skill check. They're going and finding those advantages and, and being aggressive about it. And I think that can catch other worlds teams off guard who who might think, oh, well, we'll just yeah. make, wait for them to make a mistake. You know, that's what they usually do. They wait for make a mistake, but we're not going to make mistakes like NA teams do. You know, they actually go and create advantages. Uh, and I think that's really a really good play style. And the other thing I see that's unique about them is they're kind of doing this, you know, FPX doing B mid style where Niski doesn't really play lane. He roams around, but instead of, you know, kind of doing B was always roaming bot and, and top and stuff. He Niski is roaming bot and top, but only because blabber is roaming there. He's really just enabling blabber and turning blabber right. into the super jungler. And I think in a meta where it is right now, where junglers can hyper farm and actually be a lot more effective than I think they were a year ago uh, within themselves, I I think this is really good. And I think this like play style is going to be something that teams are going to have to get used to at Worlds and, and can't just not prepare and be like, oh, it's NA. We'll just skill check them. I think yeah. if they do do that, you know, if people do <clears throat> underestimate them, they're going to take a lot of wins early because people aren't expecting it and, and they'll have to adjust to that. But yeah. you did say some th- good things about TSM and we should move on to them because they're tied in second at six and two. They beat Golden Guardians and CLG this weekend. Uh, the Golden Guardians win was, was pretty clean. Uh, the CLG game was probably one of the most interesting games I've watched in recent uh, history, I would say. It, uh, mm-hmm. in the LCS. It was very back and forth. Um, I think it was kind of like we always see those TSM 100 Thieves games go. Uh, but as far as TSM, I didn't want to talk about a specific game personally. I wanted to talk about why I personally think that they are going to be the second place team. They are in second place right now. I know that. Um, but they're tied in second and they have yet to play Cloud9. So I'm willing to say that they're going to be 6-3. and three, Although I am excited to watch that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I actually think these other teams could tie them like Evil Geniuses and FlyQuest if they get a win in their ninth game so mm-hmm. I'm not really considering it given to them already especially with how close these teams are but I'm saying that I think they're going to become that and part of the reason I think that is because when I look at the losses for these teams up near the top fighting for the second place spot I see major issues on the other teams that I think are something that's not easily changed Whereas when I see what I think the mistakes are coming out of TSM, I feel like those are things that can be easily changed. For example, the week that TSM played um, middle sticks twice, you know, 
fiddlesticks yeah. did twice. Yeah. I think that was simply an issue of uh, just tunneling on some strat that they thought was good. I think the first game that they won and it worked well was actually a smart pick. And I think the second game they failed, you know, we talked about this, so I won't go deep into it again. They kind of mm-hmm. failed to recognize that they needed, you know, DPS and, you know, they, they, they just, this, this tank fiddlesticks was not really the good pick for the team comp there and their other loss. And then they lost, had a, one of their losses also had uh, double lift Syndra bot, which I think, you know, I definitely trashed them when it happened. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm going to give them credit for it now for two reasons. And one reason is these are easily changeable. Uh, they can easily just say, oh, guys, maybe we shouldn't tunnel on these spicy picks that we come up with anymore. We should only pick them when they work. You know, that's a, mm-hmm. that's a quick, easy thing that they can just take away in five minutes and don't really have to, like, spend time practicing. And the other thing I want to give them credit for now, actually, is uh, especially with what Licorice said this week about NA tops being behind in meta, I feel bad that I got mad about them for trying Fiddlesticks mid too much and doing, you know, playing Syndra bot when people don't think Doublelift can. I'm getting mad at them for pushing their bounds and trying new strategies. Uh, and I think that's actually something that the NA fans do a lot that we shouldn't do. And I'll admit myself, I did it and I shouldn't because at Worlds, one of NA's hugest issues is NA never adapts to the world's meta. NA kind of just does whatever they were thinking they were going to do in the first place. And Mm -hmm. I I think a lot of teams that adapt really well actually win a lot more. And I think, uh, especially in certain picks, you know, like we saw with Aatrox at Rift Rivals last year, I think it was, or maybe it was two years ago now. NA will just decide that they don't like a pick or they don't want to spend the time learning it and then get demolished by it. Um, Right. By teams from other regions who, even if they put in the time and it doesn't work, they at least learned the matchup and they at least learned, hey, we can't play this, so we need to ban it. Instead of being like, eh, we'll just never play it. You know, other NA teams don't play it. So I'm excited to see TSM try these things. I actually mm-hmm. want to see them try more stuff since these standings are so contested. I I believe it's, I think it's important to get top four for playoffs versus top six, but yeah. I'm not really worried about them getting caught up to by CLG and then they only have to beat out one of Team Liquid Evil Geniuses and FlyQuest Mm -hmm. Um, so for me I just feel like I would like to see them experiment more and say you know what we might be a little bit worse now but come playoff time we can stop experimenting if it's not working or if if they learn all these picks it'll help them win games and they'll be even stronger come playoff times and even even stronger potentially going into Worlds Uh, and I think that's a good thing to look forward to from them right I I would have to agree. Um, I think that, I mean, the next place for them, obviously, to experiment is probably top lane. Um, there's there's a couple mid lane picks that are coming out too, like mid lane new new. Um, that's really interesting um, to say the have least. You watched a video on that? On have you seen any of the videos on on mid lane new new? I've played against mid lane new new. Um, I have not seen any videos, but it was pretty terrifying how much he can heal from eating things. I did, but but have you seen the absolute like? Did did you lose the game because of mid lane Nunu? Yes, yes, I lost a hundred percent because of mid lane. Like mid lane Nunu, I think it ended seven. He he was seventeen two and seven. I think. And um, he was just and he was just perma roaming, right? He would he would yeah. walk down snowball oh, yeah. mid kill, start walking up and snowball yeah. and get in kill in another lane. 
Yeah, I was playing Aphelios bot with uh, uh, um, God, who was my support? I guess it doesn't matter. Um, and then no, they had a blitz, they had a Blitzcrank Callista, and my support was some sort of Enchanter. So like Enchanter against Blitzcrank, like if he hooks in one of us, we die. So it doesn't matter. Um, we already had a losing lane, and to top it all off, like we had a new new ro perma roaming bot and top. <laughs> and both lanes were just absolutely getting demolished. And like the Nunu, I think had five kills before ten minutes, and then he just started solo winning lane too. Like him and the jungler were diving mid lane turret. Like it was kind of insane. Uh, I, I I don't know how you're supposed to play against it yet. Um, I think what you have to do is you have to play either super aggressive in both your side lanes so that you're continually pressing both points on the map that the Nunu's wanting to go to. Um, and then you need good mid-river wards. Uh, so you need to be warding further up than you normally would. So like uh, ward by Dragon Pit and by Baron Pit um, instead of a little bit closer to lane. So I, I think that's the best course of action for now because then you can catch him in the middle of his movement um, and then you can react a little bit sooner. So yeah. whether you want to counter gank or you're going to invade the jungler or you're going to go gank the other side of the map because that's where you are and you know that the Nunu and the other people aren't going to be there or you can start the opposing objective. Like if he's ganking top lane, you take dragon, things like that. Um, mm -hmm. I think that that's going to be a lot easier to do. It's going to be a lot easier to deal with in pro. It's very hard to deal with, I think, in solo queue. Um, that's that's I think what I'll say on it. Yeah, because and I, I would agree because it kind of plays on the solo queue mistakes where, you know, your top and bot might not like if you're the enemy mid laner playing against the Nunu. Yeah, even if you communicate that that he's going to be perma roaming, I think a lot of the times, top and bot won't pay attention because it's solo queue. I think in a yeah. in a in a professional game it would be a lot harder to pull off that sort of strategy. Yeah, actually, you know what? It's really close to. It's really close to and Aurelian's soul level of being able to roam freely pretty quickly yeah, to the other side of the map with a Talon amount of damage. So Talon yeah. also likes to roam. He does a pretty decent amount of burst damage. Um, but Aurelian's soul doesn't do as much burst damage. He's a little bit more consistent on being able to get to other parts of the map quickly. So mm -hmm. he kind of has the advantages of both of those champions. Um, the only difference is that Talon can get out. Uh, Nunu can't actually escape, so if the Nunu falls behind, um, then you're actually looking at a pretty pretty hard game from the Nunu side. Yeah, you're forgetting that Nunu has insane CC because he was set up to be a CC jungler. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah that's 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 the added bonus as well. Yeah, well, it's it's both of those champions plus he has CC. Yep. Okay. Well, do, do you have anything more on you know TSM or, or should we move on to the other second place team, Team Liquid? Um. Speak is looking better. Is. Even better every week. That's that's all I really have to say about them. Everything else was already good. Yep. Okay. Well, let's talk about Team Liquid, the other six and two team. Yes. Uh, the tied in second as well. They also went two zero this week. Actually, all mm -hmm. these top three teams went two zero this week, and Team Liquid beat Immortals and FlyQuest. And I almost just want to say that they're not second place because I have watched both of these games and both of them were absolutely disgusting. If you haven't seen the video already, 
the Immortals one was a base race that they barely won. And the FlyQuest game, I think they definitely should not have won, except for some glaring issues I saw on FlyQuest. So I'll dive a little bit into actually the issues I see on Team Liquid, which is why I don't think they, even though it was a 2-0, I don't think they had a great week necessarily. And I'm also going to, you know, talk about FlyQuest where I saw them have more issues and why I think they lost. Um, Just to get into it quickly, I think that Team Liquid has some issues with impact and tactical specifically. And a lot of that is I think tactical needs impacts mindset more. And I think impact needs tacticals mindset a little bit more. I've noticed impact is so willing to go in and just, I'm going to get out as much damage as possible. And yes, I might die, but I'm going to pump out damage, which I don't really think is great on a top laner when he was playing, you know, like if you're playing certain champions, that can be okay. But I think as a top laner, you're kind of, especially in this meta peeling and, you know, trying to survive. Because as soon as you die as a top laner in this meta, especially with certain junglers like Graves, which Broxa likes to play a lot, you don't have a secondary tank. You know, you're, sometimes your support is like a half tank, but you're pretty much the only defense before the enemy team starts hitting people who are carries. And I think Impact splits off and tries to flank a lot and dies early or dies fast. And then all of a sudden, Team Liquid's carries are being targeted. Right. And I think Tactical's issue, which is kind of on the other side of the spectrum, is Tactical's kind of... I don't think he's playing KDA. I think he's probably just nervous because he's a rookie and doesn't want to be the guy who gets killed, especially when you're supposed to be a carry because 80s are always expected to be kind of carries. Um, But he's basically so afraid of dying that in some fights he gets off like one or two autos. And I think these problems kind of propagate each other because one's impact dies really early in the fight from trying to pull off a flank. Tactical is way less confident to walk up. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously it wouldn't work perfectly if they had exact swap mindsets, but I think they need to, like, talk to each other and find a middle ground because, you know, I think they would get, even though Tactical might die, if he went in in the fight and just put out as much damage as he could as an AD carry before dying, you know, Jensen could definitely clean up. It's not like he's the only carry on this team. He's not like, you know, a double lift on last year's Team Liquid where he kind of needed to be there at the finish of the fight. Um and with right. carry junglers, Brox has been playing, you know, like Graves and stuff. So there's other damage sources. So to be afraid because everyone's so squishy and you don't want to die and sit back kind of wastes a lot of damage. And I think Impact needs to play safer and kind of, hey, I, you know, given that top lane is, you know, one of the few roles, especially in this meta, that can't be DPS. You know, you can see high damage out of junglers, high damage out of mid laners, and you can see high damage out of top lane, but it's kind of rare and especially it's like on picks like Wukong where NA is not really playing it a lot and I think right. he needs to kind of be more you know what I'm just gonna you know I might not hit all my abilities or have the epic flank but I'm gonna stay on the front and live as long as possible so that Jensen and Tactical can feel safe to step up and deliver this damage because I think Jensen and Tactical are completely capable of doing it I think Core JJ does a really good job of peeling but mm-hmm. he can't be the only one trying to peel and stay alive as long as possible to frontline. Yeah, I agree. Um, I definitely think that's kind of... I think that's one of the glaring issues that TL has right now. 
Um, obviously, like it doesn't show for it in the stats and a win's a win. So like I'll give it to them. Like they did end up winning and that does take some resolve. And mm-hmm. you kind of still need to set yourself up to be in those positions to win. Um, so for that, I give them credit. I think that their macro game is actually decent um, because of that. Like, obviously, plays you make before have to set you up to be able to win a game. So something that they're doing with macro is working even in games that they're losing because they definitely should have lost the FlyQuest game. I think yeah, for sure. most of it is because FlyQuest threw. Um, but a part of it is they knew what to capitalize on um, or what they should be taking or what's the best, biggest thing they could take during that throw. Um, and they were able to do that. So, um, and the Immortals game, like, I think that people like to think that base races are like coin flips, but it's obviously both teams measuring each other's skill up and being like, oh, actually, we can win right here. Like, I have this much damage. You guys can do this. Like, it's a little bit thought about before it happens. Um, mm-hmm. So, Obviously, Team Liquid won the measuring contest um, for that one, Um, but it was close. And I think that if you improperly measure, you lose. But if you properly measure, you win. And also in that circumstance, if you defend the base race rather than causing it, um, it might have turned out differently because they were also not doing too hot that game either. Um, yeah. So I think that they measured correctly that that was the amount of risk they needed to take in that moment in order to win the game. Otherwise, they would have lost. Uh, so I think they made the right choices in both their games. But I do agree that if they want to be more consistent um, with those wins and uh, actually be able to come up with those in a more convincing fashion, that they definitely need to adopt some different mindsets. Because... A lot of the times, like, I I almost see the point of the AD carry to deal as much damage as possible in the quickest amount of time to the enemy team, whether that means I live or die. Um, that's the way that I've played ADC, just because that's what's natural to me. Um, it, and there's actually different modes of thought because it depends on the champion that you're playing, right? right. So, like, Misfortune... Her job is to deal as much AoE damage as possible from as far away as possible and then hit tanks and run away because you're yeah. super fast. You have a lot of AoE damage. Like, you should be trying right. to hit backline with your AoE damage from far away. Like, that's the hmm. advantage that MF has. So, you should be able to deal damage to the backline and then set them up for your mid laner or even your jungler to go in and kill the backline, ignoring the front line completely. Right. Um, so it depends certainly on the champions that they're playing. Um, and I, I don't know. Actually, I can check really quick what Tactical has been playing most. I because, just saw a Kaisa game where he right. like pressed Q twice and didn't even auto. And that was like his extent for an entire fight. Like that, that's, a, that's an image that sticks in my head of the, the kind of things that he does. Yeah. And he's not ch- topping any charts that I can see here. Like he's not excelling in terms of cs or anything he's pretty good on kda but that's because he okay. never dies <laughs> so he's been playing he's been playing aphelios as real callista he played one game of cassio and one game of kaisa so all of those yeah you're right he has great kda his damage per minute is about 500 and his damage percentage in terms of his team uh is 32 percent. 
So actually, I have a really interesting thing on that based off of that info really quick. So if he's doing 32% of his team's damage and he's also being super safe, um, I definitely think that he could be doing more. Uh, oh, yeah. That, so that's, that's actually a big positive for them, I almost think. Because mm -hmm. what he's doing is he's able to output so much damage for his team while being super safe right now eventually he's going to work his way towards being more aggressive and doing even more damage than he's currently doing. Um, I almost see that as a great growth opportunity, but the second part that I see to that is the types of champions he's playing are late game, except for the one Callista game. He's playing late game scaling um, meta champions that besides Ezreal aren't really that safe. Um, mm. So he's dealing a lot of damage while being relatively safe. Um, I don't know. I guess I guess if we see some more games of him on maybe a little bit more off picks. So like right now the big 3 are basically Varus, Aphelios, Ezreal. Um I guess Callista also gets thrown in there because of her early game power. Uh I I haven't seen Tactical really play other things besides that. I guess he's played MF before. I thought he played MF in one of his games last split when he was subbed in. I believe um, he did, yeah. But yeah, if I could just jump in, I, I Yeah. I don't want us to sound like hypercritical uh, of Team Liquid and him and specifically I I think the reason that we're being critical especially more of tactical rather than impact is that he's a young player and we i think we have both seen in the, in some of the games how good he can really be and i think that's why we're saying this is because we're hoping he's going to develop into one of these insane na talents like you know blabber or vulcan and i don't want it to sound like we don't think he's good i actually think he's been one of the better ad carries this split uh, but he's a huge carry on a team where Jensen's looking really good right now, and they still don't really have a foothold into first, second, third. You know, they're still just barely in second versus that third spot, third, fourth spot. So I think this is kind of why we're talking about it is because I feel like if if he if if they perform a little bit better as a team and fix these issues and specifically tactical, you know, fulfills his potential, they could in my mind, secure, like, a clear, you know, neck up next to cloud line spot, you know, with how good they could play. Yeah, I I definitely agree. Actually, the person with the highest damage per minute right now is Apollo. Um, and the person with the highest damage per minute that's played all eight games is uh, FBI, actually. But um, I'm actually interested in this for one reason. Uh, just This is just among ADCs. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually have, so the damage that you actually do for DPM and the damage percentage that you have is very dependent upon how long your games are. Um, and GG and TL games are, have been averaging significantly higher than other teams. So that could be one of the reasons why the DPMs are higher. But like you're saying, when we're watching the game, he seems to not be doing as much like auto attacking a couple times and being super safe right um, so uh, i do want to preface that that might be one of the reasons why the data kind of looks good for him because he looks like 
a top three in terms of damage ADC. Um, yeah, that's been playing all eight games, but in but terms feel of like what he could he's do actually more. doing and over the course of the game, it might not be as much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So let's not stick on Team Liquid for too long. I think we definitely, yeah. you know, talked about some things there, and I think. You know, this is something like, right, this is what his eighth game, his, his now his ninth game starting. So he really hasn't played a full half split yet right. in a s- starting position. Um, so, you know, I'm not counting the game's last split because he was subbed in as a backup. He's starting now. Um, right. So I think he has plenty of time to develop. And I think, like, he definitely can because it's early. So let's move on uh, to one of the fourth place tied teams. I'm going to talk about FlyQuest right now. Okay. Uh, they lost to Team Liquid this week, and they beat Evil Geniuses. So they went one and one. They played two teams right next that were tied with them in the standings. Uh, they beat EG, and they lost to Team Liquid. So one and one. Uh, I guess I really don't have anything new to say other than examples of what we talked about last week of how it seems like it's Power of Evil versus the world. And when Power of Evil is, you know, dead, this team looks so whack. And I, I just wanted to like bring up a specific example I saw. This week in the Team Liquid game, yeah, um, FlyQuest is taking Barrett. They have total control, um, you know, from over the wall, in the pit. Everybody is zoning away Broxa so he can't steal it because Broxa is still up. And then Power of Evil dies. And then it's a four against, I think it's two on Team Liquid's side. It's either uh, I think three, it's three or two. I think it's three. I think it's three. Yeah, okay, it might, three. it might be three. But anyways, it's four against three. Uh, Solo is full health on the Baron, tanking it, and Power of Evil dies, and then instantly, Mash Arcane shifts straight into Team Liquid and dies, and then Solo goes over the wall to get onto Broxa, and then Broxa just flashes back over the wall where Solo is no longer, smites the Dragon or smites the Baron, sorry, and Team Liquid takes Baron, and that's really where the game turned around, and Team Liquid kind of grasped the game and won it from what should have been a losing position. And, you know, there's a lot of things to go over. And, like, if you go back, watch that game, pull up this clip, I'm probably not describing it perfectly. It sounds like I'm exaggerating, but I'm literally not kidding when I say Power of Evil dies and then FlyQuest just ints. Like, they just lose. And it's crazy because it's such, like, a small position where you're like, it can't be because he died, Right. But it, it resembles such a bigger picture, that issue that I see with them, which is that if Power of Evil's not there to kind of, I don't know, either get the kills, carry, or he's just not there, they look so much weaker. And I think Solo looks really good and has looked really good, but I don't think this is meta where one strong top laner can carry you. You know, I don't think this is a hooey right. meta. And right. so I think for them having basically power of evil be their only carry because you know top laners aren't really in that position right now is really hard and i think you know maybe they'll go back to wild turtle maybe they'll keep mash um santorin looks really good like he's doing a really good job early game he actually has 75 percent chance that he's got the kill or assist on the first blood in a game which is 25 percent higher than second place um so even 25 percent higher than those c9 players um I don't know. It's just it, it's crazy to me how everyone on that team can seem so good. Like Ignar's a great support, Centaur's a great jungler. You know, Mash and Wild Turtle have actually looked really good at times. Solo looks really good, but then Power of Evil dies and they just lose games. 
when Power yeah. of Evil is dead. Uh, so I guess I'll, I'll let you take away with FlyQuest, but I, I know we harped on that last week. It's just something that I saw, and I just my opinion hasn't changed on them. Yeah, I agree. I actually think they looked really good in their win against EG. Um, I think this was the first EG game where EG didn't throw and draft, and then they still lost. So it gave me a little bit less hope in EG as like a top three team. Uh, that doesn't mean that they're below top five for me by any means, but um, I think that the issues that we saw with EG are a little bit bigger than just draft for them. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that the FlyQuest game kind of proved that. Um, the FlyQuest versus TL game, like FlyQuest, if they can work out like just how to play the macro game a little bit slower and like think through their decisions um, a little bit before the circumstance actually happens. And that's something that's hard, but it's something that you have to do in like chess, right? Because like you have to think about, let's use that Baron play as an example. Just really quick, and this is something Mm. that I want to really quickly talk about for this instance, and then just sort of briefly talk about in in reference to like Cloud9, TSM, and TL. So, Reply Quest, that move right there where Power of Evil dies, that right there isn't a blunder. So, a blunder in chess is when you've made a move that's so bad that like it's almost irreparable the damage that you've just done basically to you. It's an official stat. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And then there's like mistakes and misses or like uh, misplays, things like that. So I think that MASH, instead of hitting Baron and doing the normal things that you should do on an Ezreal, where you're the last main source of damage for your team, and the Baron is already at, I think it was 3k HP at that point, your job is no longer to poke the other team off which is what you were doing with your other carry while the other three people were tanking the Baron before. Um, Your job is now switched to, okay, we can finish the Baron because we still have the man advantage. And while we're finishing the Baron, I am Ezreal. I can still poke people off. There are a couple plays that you can do to blunder from this position. FlyQuest, while they had the tempo advantage, a blunder for them could be to not take the Baron. They all get off the Baron and they wait for another opportunity where they might be able to fight off Team Liquid, even though they had a great team fight beforehand and got two picks. Right, that uh, seems like a blunder. I would agree that would with be that a pretty, That would actually be a pretty big blunder because Team Liquid could then get ward coverage, especially if, all, especially if the circumstance that happened were FlyQuest, everyone on the team backed and then left. Um, but the other one is MASH dying before Baron is taken. If he dies after Baron is taken, then other three members still have the possibility of getting out and the objective is no longer on the table. So all MASH has to do is even if he left Baron like, and he did nothing and the rest of the team finished it and he was just there to poke because he had like 400 health left, it would still be a better play than going over the wall. So I think the difference between FlyQuest and EG and then all of the other bottom teams as opposed to Cloud9, TSM, and TL is that these teams have at least a blunder somewhere in their game. But Cloud9, at least Cloud9, I don't know about TSM and TL, but Cloud9, I have never seen them actually have a blunder play. They have not done something where the outcome of the play that they are doing could result in them losing. And I think that's the biggest difference that I see between Cloud9 and other teams, um, is that they don't make the mistake that any team could capitalize on and get some sort of advantage out of. Um, 
And I, I think that TSM and TL do make those mistakes somewhere in there. Um, but I'm not sure that they're quite as much blunders as they are pretty big errors. Um, and I think that's what's differentiating the teams at the top right now. And I honestly think that a big part of you being a pro player and like bringing a lot to your team is Mm -hmm. being able to understand what plays could cause you to lose the game. And if you have an understanding of what you need to do, what you can do to lose, not necessarily, you don't even need to know what you have to do to win. If you can understand what you lose. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because as long as you're not like, so I'll give you an example. Like a lot of the early game of chess is like the way that you can perceive it is you're trading pieces to get to a mid game where you can try to seek out advantages and then try to win in the late game. Like there are other, you know, nuanced things like you actually can win pretty quickly early, but like, let's take like a normal game that takes a few moves to get through. Like league is kind of like that where, you are developing over the time of the game and you're just trying not to screw up yourself enough early to make sure that you have all these pieces and different advantages that you can utilize in the late game. So like the, I think the biggest comparison to that is like trading dragons versus towers. Like right now, the biggest trade that teams are doing is okay. The team with the better early game skirmishing is taking all of the dragons and their win condition is to try to get dragon soul. The team that is not that early game skirmishing team has instead drafted later game scaling champions and is going to have a really good early game jungler who can quickly take Rift Herald and then get you um, the first turret with the extra plate gold on whichever carry you're going to have in your mid to late game. Like I think it's very textbook. It's almost very textbook at that point. And I think Mm -hmm. that a lot of teams are doing this like around the world. Like that's actually pretty standard. But the big blunders are the choices that you make to lose you the game in the mid game. And one of the biggest faults that TSM had last split where people were saying like, Oh, this is team shitty mid game. Like they were blundering in the <laughs> mid game with, with Dardoch right now. Yeah. They're not doing that anymore with Spica. And I don't know if it's because Spica recognizes that that's a play that could lose them the game or not. Um, but instead of thinking of it as, Oh, this play is like, 50-50 or 55-45, like those are things that you have to consider once you're at the very, very top echelons of play. If you're mm. thinking about it in basic terms, you have to think about, okay, if I make this play, will we lose the game after I make this play? And if the answer is yes, then that's most likely a play that you should not be making. Instead, there's likely. definitely something else you could do. Oh, that sounds really easy when you put it that way. Just don't make a play that will lose you the game. <laughs> right. Right. And it, I think it's, I think the thing about being a pro player is that that's something that you should be able to recognize. So, so that's why I'm trying to like break it down into really basic. Like a yeah. lot of people talk about, I, I think Jat talked about when he was referencing worlds in 2019. Um, I think it was during group stages. They were like, yeah, the difference between like the upper tier teams and the lower tier teams is like, or no, he was talking specifically about G2. He was talking about G2 and he's like G2 takes the shot at the 55-45 play. Like all of these other Korean teams that are dropping out are waiting for the 80-20 or maybe even the 60-40. But G2 is like, based off the information that we have right now, this play is 55-45, we're doing it. 
Because even though it's only a 5% difference and they could outplay us or something could happen, that isn't a blunder. A blunder is where you have set yourself up into an 80-20 situation. Mm-hmm. So th- that that's, I think, the difference. So the way that I was trying to describe it before was like really broken down and basic. Like basically saying like, hey, like don't make a play where you're almost guaranteed to lose. Um, but I think that for a pro player to digest that information, it's okay. You know that doing this should result in not a good scenario. So instead, think about some other creative solution that you can do and dismiss that one because that one's obviously going to put you in an 80-20 circumstance. Do something right. to increase your chances of winning. Um, right. And I feel like that's something that gets missed over whether it's coaching or uh, maybe it's just the in-game. Like you've gotten 30 minutes into this game, you're tired, you know, you've had a pretty stressful week, whatever it is. Um, but I think that there does need to be some level of association of what can you do that could immediately shift the tides of the game in the wrong direction? Because you also control um, the amount at which your team loses. As a, like, That's yeah. the reason why some teams can stall out for so long. Like right. You control the rate at which you lose in some cases. So making sure that everything is lining up for your team to succeed, I think is the job of a pro player. I, yeah. I think that that was a very long tangent and I went way too in depth on that piece. <laughs> um, it's, it's okay. And I want you to I actually want you to keep that uh, thought in mind there that it's, that it's a pro player's job to digest that and find something creative else to do. I want to elaborate on that point in a topic after we get through the teams. So, you know, yeah. you and the listeners like, Keep keep that point at the forefront of your mind. You know, tuck it in the maybe tuck it to the side for a second. I'll bring it back up in a couple minutes here. Yeah. Uh, so so let's move on to evil geniuses. We've kind of already talked about them. Uh, yeah. They 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 lost to FlyQuest and they beat Immortals. Again, both FlyQuest and or sorry, yeah, both FlyQuest and Evil Geniuses. They both got a win this week, but especially this Evil Geniuses team lost to another team that was tied in that second place spot. They lost to FlyQuest, who they're still currently tied with. And then they beat Immortals, like, just barely. Purely off of this 200 years of experience on Aphelios. <laughs> like, bang, being able to, like, yeah. just queue with the red gun and, and have the um, flamethrower secondary and just heal from nothing to full in, like, two seconds and also deal a billion damage. That literally saved them the game. And I don't want to like say that they lost this game because they they won. It'll say they won on the score sheet, but I really don't think they won this game. I think they escaped this game. I think that's what they did. Um, and <laughs> yeah, to me, like I just early on, Kumo looked a lot better this split. Bang looked like he did last split. Jazuke looked, you know, like he was less coin flippy and more winny. I think he was just flipping a lot of heads in a row and. You know, or tails, whatever you want to say. He was flipping a lot of wins in a row. And I think right. he started to flip some losses. And Kumo's starting to get abused by other top laners again. Like, I don't think it necessarily shows in KDA because in this Immortals game, his KDA at one point was 2-0-1, which you're like, oh, 2-0-1 on Volibear. That's pretty good. Well, he had to run away under turret and flash out because Alorum was uh, a raid boss or a god. Um, so right. he was two levels down. So 
he may not be dying as much, but he's still, I feel like, starting to get abused again by other top laners. And, like, I, I'm not saying anything terrible about Lorem here because we haven't seen a lot this split from him. But I would venture that he's probably not one of the best top laners in NA. I could be wrong, but I'd venture that he's probably not. And he yeah. kind of dominated Kumu to the point of becoming a raid boss. So I, it, it really worries me uh, for them. I don't want to speak too much on it because they have two more games next week. So uh, next week they play GG and CLG. Um, two teams right under them in the standings, literally the next two. So they do have a chance to say, you know what? We lost a couple this week. We're better than those teams, though. Um, so yeah. I really just kind of want to see it from them. I really don't want to like poke too much into it unless you have anything to say. Um, and the only real thing that I would say about the GG one, EG one that I think is interesting is that um, Kumo actually had the highest average, I think it was gold and CSD at 15 of all the top laners, and Alorum had the least. Um, but I've actually seen Alorum play uh, for a decent amount of time now, mm -hmm. and he actually thrives in 1v1 and playing split push types champions. So it doesn't actually surprise me that much that he dumpstered Kumo on Urgot. Like, gotcha. that's one of his comfort picks. He's known for 1v1 and solo killing people. That's what he's good at. Is well, he just got dumpstered by um by uh last week by um licorice. So right, right, and that I mean, yeah, that's just gonna happen. It's just that uh, I mean, that's also C nine. But <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Uh, I'm using a harsh example. I think that the only thing that I'm trying to put out with that is that with immortals versus EG, they know that the jungler is not going to come top lane. So you know it's going to be a pure 1v1. And if you have that knowledge beforehand, um, you basically have the opportunity for players who are top laners that are great into 1v1. Like, I actually think that Viper is really good in 1v1 situations. Um, but the problem is that you don't get those that often. And more likely than not, if he were to pick a carry, then the jungler would come top lane. So you're not going to get those circumstances very often. Um, so he'd have to carry while playing a tank, which is really hard for him. Um, and the difference with Alorum is that he plays a variety of different champs, like that are even kind of off meta, like Yorick. Um, and what he likes to do is 1v1 and play mm -hmm. without junglers as if they're not there. Um, but that often gets him caught out by better junglers. So uh, I think that he's a good all overall player. He's kind of like Solo, except Solo is probably a little bit more reformed as a pro player. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that he could actually grow into someone who's pretty good. Like, that's what you want to see in LPL is really high, like, solo kills, plays well in lane, good 1v1. And then you just need the map awareness of where the jungler is and maybe communicating with your jungler. And he could actually be a pretty good top laner. Um, so that, that's kind of what I had to say about that game. Okay. <clears throat> uh, so let's let's move on to CLG, who's in sole possession of sixth place, who's yeah. four and four. Uh, I'm not saying we have to talk about it a lot. I do want to make a big deal about eight teams make playoffs, but top six get double elim. So this is kind of like a cutoff position here. So yeah. while you might be like it's it's sixth, it's it's also kind of a big spot for them to hold in lone possession. They lost to C9 and TSM this week, who are both pretty good teams. Uh, next week, though, they played. 
Team Liquid and Evil Geniuses, so they're playing the next two down on the list. For yeah. me, I'm willing to commit right now and say it. CLG is my meter team. This split. CLG is going to be my meter team, and I believe that they will play like a meter team. If you beat CLG and you're better than CLG, then you are currently a good team in NA. If you lose to CLG, you are currently a bad team in NA. I'm not saying that that's a permanent status, right? Anyone who's ever lost to CLG is bad, and anyone who ever beaten them is good. I'm just going to say that they're right now, they seem to be a really good meter team. You know, any team yeah. that beats them and is in a good state right now and probably top half of the league, anyone who loses is worse. And I think it'll continue to be that way. And I think even if they go way down in the standings, I think that'll just mean that there's a lot more good teams in NA. And if they go way up, I think it'll mean there's a lot more uh, bad teams in NA. I think so, you could really see where they were rough around the edges sometimes this weekend. Like, yeah. for example, I watched Ruin uh, just almost solo kill Licorice in lane and then walk out of a bush where he had vision on Licorice, but Licorice didn't have vision on him. He could have gotten the kill and won the 1v1. And mm -hmm. he made the mistake of stepping out, got killed, and then got solo killed more and more. Uh, I think they're a good team fighting team. They, they, they try to plug the holes if, if they start losing early. I think it's just kind of one of those things where they're pretty good team fighters. So if you don't capitalize on them and get an advantage that you can use to to, to get a carry who can beat them in team fights or split push them out of it, then they can actually beat you. Um, but I think what we saw from this them this week was uh, an embarrassing loss to C9 and then a loss to Team USM in a really close game. Uh, but I also think that wasn't TSM's best. I think they do have a lot of issues that they need to work on. Uh, I'll let you kind of go into the, the specifics with them, but I think they're a pretty good meter team is where I would place them. Right yeah, now. actually, I think that you're right in terms of them being a good meter team. And the reason why I think you're right is they're also one of the teams that are improving. Um, and the, the TSM-CLG game was close. Uh, if you ask the TSM players, like uh, Doublelift was the one interviewed afterwards, they didn't actually think it was that close. They think that the gold was close, but they understood that they had a ticking time bomb team where the entire team was drafted for late game. So as long as CLG didn't get soul uh, on the fourth dragon exactly, TSM still felt comfortable that they were going to win. Um, so since they delayed that and then proceeded to get every single objective after I guess CLG got the third dragon, or maybe they got first herald before they got third dragon a anyway um whenever clg got their last objective tsm proceeded to get all of the objectives after that and that was just difference in team composition um clg didn't close and get to their win condition fast enough um so tsm was able to win um it it definitely looked like a close game and it was super exciting to watch um i will say it's probably the most exciting tsm clg game in the past few years um but that being said like it seemed kind of obvious that tsm was going to end up winning that game around 25 to 30 minutes um but they just played it slow uh basically ensuring that they don't blunder like i was saying before um and lose so um i guess hold on one sec uh oh but 
being a good meter team. Yes, I just reminded myself. Um, actually, something that I think would be interesting to think about is CLG has been improving. I don't think that Evil Geniuses has been improving. Um, and I would, I'm very interested in the next time these two teams meet and watching them play. Hmm. Because the first game that they played together, EG played a perfect game against them. Uh, CLG got no kills, no objectives. Yeah, that uh, was the first game of the split. But I think that even if they played last week, it would be a close game. I, I almost think that CLG could beat EG. I actually would agree with that. Um, so it's a it's really interesting to say that they're a meter team because if that's true, um, I actually think that CLG could even be a top four team as a meter team and being able to judge how other teams are playing, which I think is really weird because CLG as a meter team means that since all of their players, their individual stat lines are not great and they're losing in gold before 20 minutes, but then winning games, that just means that the way that you're treating them as a meter team is, does the team against them know how to play macro? Because if the team against them has better macro, they'll win the game because they have more, more gold and probably stronger players. And uh, I think that's why they are a meter team, though. I right. think that's exactly why. Because they are improving. So the meter is going up, but I think that's exactly why. It's because no one on that team... I mean, I guess maybe I'm doing a disservice to some of the players by saying this, but no one on that team is, you know, going to hyper carry depending on the day. They're all just going to play yeah, well I, as a team and team fight and win you win that way. And I think right. if you're a better team, you can you you can play around that and you can beat them. Yeah, you can definitively like I can definitively say that no one on that team is top three in their role. So because yeah. of that, you can say that you don't have a reliable carry who's always going to be like all right, you can always defer to this person to carry. Um, but that being said, like, yeah, that does make sense. Like their meter, the reason why they are the meter is that the only way to actually beat them because the way that they're winning um, is by having better macro. So right now they're losing in gold. Their stats are showing that they're doing okay at team fighting and they're winning the macro game. So they have a really good mid game. And right now that's the name of the game. If you're winning in the mid game, like it takes a really huge blunder at, towards the later stages of the game in order to lose if you have a winning mid game. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, actually, that makes sense. I agree with your statement. I, I was just kind of trying to support it a little bit more. No, yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate it, I'm, and I'm glad you agree. So, yeah. so let's move on to seventh place, which is Golden Guardians at three and five. Um, this is my favorite team. Uh, just to <laughs> di disclose, I know I disclose every week. But I actually don't want to talk about them a lot this week because they're usually very interesting. Uh, this week, I would say it was less interesting. They beat yeah. 100 Thieves. They lost to TSM. The 100 Thieves game, they got a lead and they actually like converted it. Mm -hmm. uh, but 100 Thieves is not a great team. So I don't know how much you know that was them doing well versus 100 Thieves not being able to come back in games. Uh, and then they lost to TSM where they never really had... Uh, an opening the they never had a lead that was snowball yeah. uh worthy and so i think this week was just kind of like actually in a team that usually doesn't do what you expect them to do was a very expected week uh so i think they just still same thing we said as last week is they need to work on closing games because they do get gold they, they didn't get against tsm which was surprising because they almost every single game get a gold lead um when they do, 
they they will still lose. And and part of it is, you know, they draft really early game a lot of the time. And I think they need to be aware that if they're going to draft early game, they have to finish. Um, yeah. Just to go a little bit more, I know I said I wasn't going to go super deep. Um, if you go on the Golden Guardian su- uh, subreddit, I actually posted something about this and I was talking about some of the people there about how I think potentially one of the reasons they struggle is because of scrims and how scrims work because they say they're really good in scrims. They just need to convert it to stage. Uh, we have heard before from different players and coaches and stuff that in scrims, when teams get behind, they kind of just start trolling or they literally will FF a scrim and just say go next because they can't learn anything more. And I think potentially that might be hindering Golden Guardians um, either in developing it in the first place or starting to learn how to close games because they do get big gold leagues. And if the, and if that's happening in scrims, I think people in scrims are more likely to say, ah, crap, we lost and start trolling or FF like we've heard that teams will do during scrims. Uh, and I think maybe some of the surprises coming from when they get on stage teams start playing differently when they get those leads than they do during scrims and they don't really have experience closing against a team that's really trying. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think they necessarily have great experience closing. So I think, uh, you know, that's something that can be talked about. Um, but it, it, it's just kind of, they need to figure it out. It really doesn't matter if they're not getting the practice, they still have to figure that out. You know, uh, if they want to, move up past our meter team clg who's right above them uh next week they play evil geniuses and team liquid uh i think it's just a chance to prove themselves you you could say it's a hard schedule but they got a lead against team liquid before mm-hmm. uh, a very good lead actually they're up 4k in gold and they haven't played evil geniuses yet but evil geniuses does have players that will get snowballed against uh in kumo and um jizuke so I, I think it's just a chance, right? This is this is a good halfway through the split, you know, check in with Gigi to see, hey, have you fixed your stuff? Are you ready to be middle, upper tier teams or not? Right. Yeah, I I definitely think that Gigi has the potential to be a really strong team just because they are so consistently getting early game gold leads. Um, and we'll also talk about... Uh, another stat once we're done with these standings here in a second yep um so i don't want to go too in depth of that but yeah they have the potential to be a really really strong team and i'm also excited to see them next year because if they're able to carry this over into next year and the meta is still pretty much the same um or even earlier uh they'll be super strong like with all that time and practice getting to develop to mid games uh, over the course of this whole year, um, they could actually make a pretty solid roster um, that could go places. I'm actually going to disagree a little there just because I think in the nature of esports is if GG doesn't do good this year, they're not going to have that roster next year. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, this is definitely something we can see and talk about during the off season. There'll be plenty of time for us to talk about this. Uh, but I think especially GG is not trying to focus on the offseason. Um, yeah. They, I've sure. actually heard their players say a couple times, which is surprising to me, that their goal is to make Worlds. Um, I don't know. I think their goal should be to try to win a playoff series because they've never done that as an org. That's uh, the first step. You know what? It, you you got to shoot high. So, you know, I'm yeah. not really going to blame them for that. 
Uh, moving on to 100 Thieves, who is 2-6. Yes. They went 1-1 one one this week. They lost to Golden Guardians, who are right above them in the standings, so I think that was very showing. Yep. Um, and they beat Dignitas. They actually had two new players in. Well, they had Contracts, who's not a new player, but he replaced Medios, and they had Poom uh, in the support position. And I really don't know what to think. Um, maybe you got a reading. My reading was... They look the same, right? I think if they had looked better, they would have been able to beat Golden Guardians. Um, yeah. And I think if they looked worse, they would have lost to Dignitas. I just, I think Dignitas is just really bad right now. Um, yeah. So it would be hard for me to say that them beating a team who just swapped in Phoenix um, and some other players is, I just, it would be hard for me to say that that makes them better. Uh, and I'm not saying that contracts and Poom won't do well. I just think they don't have it yet. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm going to jump ahead actually here for a second to discuss this. You, you can come back to 100 Thieves. Um, yeah. But I'm going to jump ahead. Part of the reason I'm so gloomy on them is I think Immortals is going to pass them very, very soon. Uh, yeah. And I think that Immortals is going to pass quite a few people. Um, and so that's kind of why I don't, I'm not really excited about 100 Thieves is I don't really think they're going to make playoffs. Because uh, I see GG that they could, you know, I see Golden Guardians, if they can fix their what's going on with themselves, you know, in the late game, they can start boosting up in the standings. Uh, and I already see Immortals going up. So I, I really see 100 Thieves not really seeing them be able to pass anyone. And I actually think they're going to fall a spot into that ninth place spot in this playoffs. Um, I can get into why I really am so high on Immortals, but I'll give you the chance to talk about 100 Thieves first. Yeah, I'll do I'll do a really quick um, thing on 100T, and then we can go to your thoughts on Immortals. Um, I actually think um, you said they look the same. I would agree that this is probably the same thing that you would expect from 100 Thieves based on how they're looking uh, a loss to GG and a win to dig even if they didn't change their schedule I think that that's one of the reasons why you're saying that they look the same I actually think they look worse and the only reason why I'm saying that is you've just subbed in two players so I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt um, that they're probably not going to have instant synergy um, and you're subbing in the middle of a split two new players into a roster that's been playing together since last split um so that's obviously not going to work out the way that you think and i actually think that if they would have kept medios and stunt in they would have had the potential of beating golden guardians um just because medios is such a good shot caller that he understands the later stages of the game and would have known how to um basically not necessarily stall out i wouldn't say that because this is not the hundred thieves of two years ago where they just stalled every game and then won in the late game um but they would have understood better responses to what gg were doing in the early game and mm -hmm. i think that they would have had a better chance of winning um than they did with these two new players um i do think poom is promising um and I think Contracts is still the same kind of jungler he's always been. Um, pretty aggressive. Um, he likes playing carries. He's actually pretty close to the same style that I would put on Blabber. Um, but I think Blabber is a lot more strategic about it than Contracts is. Um, and 
contracts also doesn't have the whole team supporting him, right? He's just jungling to support the team, not the whole team understanding what the jungler needs to do. Um, so I think there are deeper issues there with 100T. And I would say that they look a little bit worse, but at the same time, you just subbed in two players. So I guess that's the, I, I think that's my whole thought on that. Um, I do want to hear why you're high on Immortals, though, because saying that they're going to pass a few teams means that you're implying they could get almost into top six with the roster they have. All right, so I'll get into that in just a second. I just wanted to point out something a little bit ironic uh, in that 100 Thieves subbed out Stun, who had the most deaths, and then yeah. Meteos, who had the most deaths, and then yeah. Ryoma's next in most deaths. Most deaths. But then they put in a jungler who last summer, the last split he was starting, you know, contracts was with Golden, uh, Golden Guardians, yeah. had the most deaths. Uh, yeah. So it, it, it's just kind of funny how they, they, they're like, well, these guys died too much. And then they put in someone, you know, Medios and contracts are totally different play styles. So I don't want to say that like they put right. in the same player at all because it's not true. But it's just right. a little bit funny that he was, is also someone who, who dies a lot. Um, That's actually super ironic. It's just like, hey, these players are dying too much. All right, you two, you've been dying a lot. Get in there. (laughs) Get in there. (laughs) Get in there. Um, But to get into Immortals, uh, they lost to Team Liquid and Evil Geniuses this week. But if you follow any sort of Immortals or any of their players on Twitter, you will see that uh, they were twice, um, uh, they were, I guess I would call them victims of Riot Games. And I call them victims of Riot Games because both times they got the game taken away from them in a position where they could win by Aphelios late game, just doing <laughs> way too much. Um, yeah, I, I think the Team Liquid one was like, you know, yeah, I guess that was Aphelios, um, but also kind of like the base race. more the base race, yeah. But Evil Geniuses literally, they were ending the game, had killed everyone on evil geniuses except for being on the aphelios they're like you know what aphelios is so strong we just need to kill him and then we can kill the towers they went to kill aphelios he healed to full health while nuking everybody uh and then eg just won so i i just feel bad for them because of that but if you really like if you were to look at it last week i think the standings have changed up a little bit yeah team liquid and evil geniuses were both tied in second and now team liquid is still tied in second and they evil geniuses is tied for fourth they barely lost both of those games like both in ways that they totally could have won with this roster that is still really new like i know they've played four games now but they're still figuring it out for sure and especially in the evil geniuses game xmithy looked not good like, I, I would have thought, you know, and especially with the way Immortals won games last split, was kind of Xsmithy guiding them through mid to late and just being smart. But Xsmithy didn't look good. Alorum was the most insane raid boss Urgot. Like, he was up two levels on Kumo. Uh, he would just go into fights and just absolutely obliterate people. And to be honest, Kumo dodged so many Urgot ults or flashed. And or used his burned his ult to escape so many Urgot ults that would have killed him and been solo kills. So like yeah. so many times he was so close to solo killing 
um, Kumo even more. And he really like absolutely dominated that game, I would say. Um, and I think for me, it's just they look so much better. And I think they can still be getting even better because Insanity is kind of a young player in the mid lane. I think with more confidence, Insanity can be a more of a presence. I think Smithy kind of needs to um, get his confidence back a little bit playing in LCS after being benched. But, right. I mean, Alorum has shown bright spots. I think, you know, Apollo looks great. I, just for me, this team, like, after seeing them lose because of a crazy base race to Team Liquid and then lose to EG because Aphelios is just broken. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be honest, I think if they played the games they did there against Golden Guardians, 100 Thieves, CLG, and maybe even FlyQuest this week, I think they would have won. Um, so I'm not. I, that doesn't mean they're going to win games in the future. But they still do their last this ha- like the, their last opponent in this half of the split is Dignitas, and 100 Thieves is FlyQuest. Mm-hmm. So I think they'll be tied with 100 Thieves already for the eighth spot by the end of the first half. After all that embarrassing stuff that went down, they've already beaten Golden Guardians once. Uh, yes, Golden Guardians did some bad stuff and does have potential to get better, but they've already beaten Golden Guardians. I, I, I really think they could definitely beat CLG this team right now. Like I, I would be excited to watch an Immortals CLG game uh, with yeah. this Immortals right now. And if they can just like get just a tiny bit better, I, I know other teams are going to get better too. So I don't want to like be definitive on this, but they were so close to beating both team liquid and evil geniuses this week. Like yeah. you wouldn't be, you know, surprised by my take that they are going to make top six, maybe if they had dumpstered team, you know, if they'd beaten Team Liquid and EG, gone 2-0 and been, um, they would be three and five instead. Yeah. Like nobody would be questioning this take. But since in two games they underestimated Aphelios and made some slight mistakes at the end of the game and lost, even though they're a young team, people are kind of still considering them very bottom of the table. And I think they definitely can win some games. Whereas, like, I'm gonna flash forward again, again, and jump your opinion. Um, Dignitas, I see no hope. They're last place. Um, I think Immortals is the exact opposite. And I think 100 Thieves is probably downward spiraling this split. I, I see the opposite. I think Immortals is on the upswing. And yes, it doesn't show in the win column yet. But it shows in performance a lot. Like, I don't know. I'm just very impressed with them. And I think they could get top six. I'm not... Uh, oof. Do I want to bet that they would get top six? Uh, I'd have to think about that. Why, 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 why don't you talk about them for a minute, and I'll, and I'll think about whether I want to make that commitment. Well, I mean, the only other thing that I have to say is that they're the only all-NA team uh, where every single player is from NA and not, like, imported and has been here for three years. Like, they're all from NA. Um, and Insanity's been good for a while. Um, Insanity was on... Um, I think he was on... TL Academy for a little while. I think he was on TSM Academy too a while back before they had a blazed olive. Um, and he's been doing very well in Academy his whole time on there. Um, and I've actually seen his stream a couple times. Um, I'll bait it was a long time ago. Um, but he's a pretty highly rated, like good mid laner from NA. Like he should be widely sought after. Like 
kind of on the same plane as DeMonte and Golden Glue. Like, that's an NA mid that's not taking up an import slot. And if you just want, like, I mean, I'm not going to say he's a top three, but if you want a middle-of-the-pack consistent mid laner that's not going to take an import slot, like, and you can build your team around something else, like, that should already be a bells ringing in your head, like, high value. So Immortals is showcasing, like, they have some high-value players on their team. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if they got a lot of money next year. Um, e- even if they, e- even if they like, are going to do well this year, like, I'm not going to say that definitively. But even if not, like, they're showing that their players can compete with some of the top-tier teams on um, at least produce close games with some of the top-tier teams in LCS. And for that, that should definitely show that they have some value. Yeah, and, and and this something this makes me think about more is is I hope this changes kind of the community perception, um, because the community perception is kind of that NA can't develop talent, and there is no NA talent being developed, whether it's the NA talent's fault or the org's yeah. fault. It, there's a lot of blame going around, but I think this kind of shows that this was a three and three academy team. Again, this team is three and three in academy, and they just almost had a two zero weekend against two of the top teams in the LCS. Right. And it's all NA. They're all NA. So I think this shows that NA has developed talent. I just don't think they're being utilized. And I think uh, it just makes you think, like, if you think about Insanity specifically, I I can make some points with Alorum as well. But if you think about it, and I don't want to, like, trash talk i'm not saying trying to say anything bad about these specific players like they shouldn't be on the team or they're they're worthless but i think it says something that why is Froggen? why is why was ika why is Ryoma starting in the mid lane when insanity is probably not even the best academy mid laner like na talent and he can be just as good or better you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so, so for me, it's kind of like uh, I would much rather see a team, to be honest with you, um, and I think from an org perspective, this is probably good too. If your team is bad and you're like you have a role where your import is comparable to your academy, who's an NA talent or an academy that you could get, like not not necessarily even your academy, an academy player that you could sign if you told. Right, because some teams are willing to give up their academy players if it's for an LCS spot. Because, you know, I think a lot of people really do care about getting the players their chances. Right. I think a good example is, is Golden Glue being traded for Palafox from C9 to GG. Yeah. Uh, I don't think anyone would argue that Palafox is better than Golden Glue or equal at that point in time, because that was when C9 was destroying academy. But they're willing to give them up to start. And I think. Sorry, just to get to my point, I just think it's like you should be willing to start the NA player. Like, sure, you're probably paying the import player, but if you're this bad with the import player, anyways, you're not going to keep them. You're not going to keep them next year. You know what I'm saying? So unless this import player is in your long term plans, which I, I, I feel like shouldn't be the case in a lot of these case scenarios where the import player is not really doing anything, mm-hmm. start your NA five. Give that at- academy talent that that NA talent the chance to grow. And then from there, right, like looking at this Immortals team, let's say that during the summer split, Alorum and Insanity prove that they're good at NA talent and they can start in their play, like great players. 
that's fantastic. Like you just developed that. Um, mm-hmm. And I, but if they don't, it's fine. You have the import slots. You know what I'm saying? Whereas if you're putting in Ica and you're like, well, Ica's okay. He's kind of developing, you know, you don't have that ability to then say, oh, this dude, you, you know, oh, we can import somewhere else. Whereas if you put it in insanity in and it's like, oh, this guy's one split away from being so developed. Perfect. Then, then keep him in. And now you have that import slot because you have him and you could slide the import. Let's say Alorum doesn't develop. And it turns out you just had one good game on Urgot, right? Then you can go, okay, top lane is our weakness, right? We have that import slot to fulfill that if we can get someone in here. But we found our mid laner. Sweet. And he's NA, right? Uh, he's an NA player. So, yeah, I don't know. For me, it's just, I, I think, especially seeing that this Immortals team was three and three in Academy and now just, I know they lost and I, I know it counts as a loss and they're one and seven, but they literally were like so close to beating both like two very top teams in NA LCS. So it's just like, for me, it's, it's a big sign that maybe some of this Academy talent should be starting. In yeah. positions in the LCS. Oh no, I definitely agree. I think that there's been a lot of talk about like academy teams being able to beat LCS teams and players from academy teams actually being better than some players that are in the LCS right now. Um, I definitely think that that's a hot topic that's been talked about a lot right now. But like, this is one of the unique cases where we get to see what that looks like firsthand. Um, in reality, there's not going to be many opportunities where we're just going to see like heads up players against players or LCS teams versus uh, academy teams. Um, the only time we did see that was in like relegations a long time ago, uh, where teams could actually get kicked from LCS and then brought down to academy uh, before teams had academy teams. Um, mm-hmm. That was like how they got the top ten LCS teams was like okay, there's actually a pool of about like 20 or 30. Um, and the bottom three teams are going to play in relegation matches to make sure that they keep their spot. And if they don't, then it's new guys. But then org started picking up teams and other things changed. Um, and now we're where, we at, where we're at today. And that's been one of the things that's led Academy in NA to not be that great, is that there isn't really that level of competition that sure you as an individual might get noticed and then picked up by a team to start on the LCS. But the likelihood that that's going to happen based off of history, like with this is pretty low. I guess we're seeing more movement now than we have in the past two years with franchising. Like now we've got Coom coming up, uh, tactical starting. Um, We've got, a couple rookies coming in. Now we have Insanity and Alorum coming back. Alorum's and and back before again. Demonte uh, came in and took the spot, or came in and took the spot, Ablaze Olive was actually, he won the starting position on Golden Guardians. Yeah. Right. So there's, I mean, there's a lot of movement this year. I don't know if it's because people have started bringing up Academy more and NA's trying to utilize it. Um, but whatever it is, if they keep heading in the direction where they improve the academy system as a means of cultivating NA talent and then also maintaining um, import talent that you want to build up, if they turn it into more of that system that then rewards players who are actually doing individually well in those to try and get spots on teams, 
that's going to just produce an overall better uh, LCS and better teams overall, yep. which is going to elevate our chances of doing well at Worlds. And yep. I think that's one of the reasons why Cloud9 like gives away players so willy-nilly during the offseason. They get a bunch of money for it because they've cultivated good players. But the other thing is like they want the rest of the league to be better too because the better competition you have, the better team you're going to develop too around it. Right. So uh, if every team had that philosophy, then I think LCS overall would be a better region um, or NA would be a better region uh, in terms of its world's performances. Um, right. I, I don't know if there's anything else I have to say on, on that topic because um, that's uh, also a pretty big topic. We could probably get into a lot there, but I think that's for a different, different that's, point. Yeah, that's, that's definitely for a different episode. Um, Dignitas lost to 100 Thieves and Cloud9. Um, Dignitas <laughs> bad uh, is, I think, oh, all man. I have to say. I'm not, I'm not trying to disrespect any of the players of the org there. I just think there's not really anything to talk about. They haven't had... I mean, we already saw what was good from Johnson last split. Mm-hmm. So I really don't think we've seen anything from them that that is exciting. And I think the unfortunate thing... Um, is that the players that have been swapped back in to play are all players that I guess are hoping to have a resurgence of their career. You yeah. know, like we've seen Lorlo before, we've seen Darduck before, we've seen Phoenix before. It, it, for me, it's just like, you know, I would feel better if these were like, uh, yeah, like young NA talent or young imports that, that they're like, is this person worth keeping as an import slot, you know, in the league? coming yeah. in to like, oh, is this person ready yet? But it's old players that we've seen aren't ready that are trying to prove that they can still play, which I think is not necessarily invalid. I think it's just less exciting to talk yeah. about, less exciting to see. I, I just have to say that they're losing me my uh, my power rankings bet that I have with you. Yes, I they are. I told you team. they were 10th place team. Dude. I saw this team doing way different things than they're doing um and i don't know if it's coaching or if it's just the reality of like the players mindsets or how they actually like to play like Mm -hmm. the cohesion that i saw with the types of players that they had made sense to me that they would be like an eighth place team or a seventh place team but that cohesion just never came to exist um and the only one that came up, which I did not expect, was the Aframu and Johnson um, duo doing so well. Mm-hmm. So I still give them praise for that. Like, go you guys. And maybe Afro sees a resurgence in his career after this year. Um, and I think Johnson could definitely find himself on a pretty solid team as a pretty consistent ADC. But the rest of the team is definitely like a dumpster fire right now, uh, at least in wow. my opinion. And just from the stats, like... They're not performing well. Yeah, and I think another thing you're missing is, I think, unfortunately, players like Johnson are going to have to compete with Sneaky um, yeah. for a decent team. I could see Johnson getting on a lower-tier team and maybe yeah. ending up with some other rookies. For example, like let's say Immortal starts doing better, but they really don't think Apollo's the answer in the bot lane. I could see like them revamping next year with like an import support or, or something and trying to get Johnson, but uh, we'll see. I, I don't think we'll see you know him in a best of five this year, which is 
sad, but I, I think he's definitely proven himself, I hope, enough that he gets he gets another chance somewhere. Yeah. Or continued on Dignitas if they revamp. Yeah, uh, I So agree. moving on, let's reach to the side of your mind where I told you to store uh, what we were talking about earlier with teams, you know, players having to recognize scenarios that, are, that, that could be blunders and doing something else useful instead instead of that play. I started to notice something this weekend or this last week in LCS uh, that was bothering me. And what it was is I noticed a lot of teams not really thinking, hey, for this early Drake that, 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 that they want, we won't beat the other team. Uh, and not doing that you know, calculation in their head or, or that recognition, you know, being able to recognize that they're not going to win that and seeing teams basically show up both teams together at, at, at not necessarily the first Drake. I see it a lot at the second Drake or, or the first attempt at Rift Herald where teams will sh- just be like, they'll just show up. Both teams will show up in even numbers or similar numbers at slightly different times and do this weird shuffle back and forth, poke, half fight. Sometimes it totally develops. And then the team that loses goes, oh, well, I guess we didn't win that. And leaves. Um, and it was something disappointing to me because I feel like in other regions, I see teams recognize, hey, the other team's starting Dragon. We don't win those. Let's go get Rift Herald. Or let's you know, send the jungler somewhere to push in and get tower plates and get us gold because the Dragon doesn't give you um, as much direct gold as getting a bunch of turret, uh, turret plates or uh, the Rift Herald does. And then using that gold that you now have on that carry, hopefully, or important player to then be able to win the next Drake fight. Um, mm-hmm. And the so I was kind of thinking this is an issue, but, you know, it was just something that I saw. So I wanted to look at statistics to try to see, hey, are teams that are losing in NA actually trading objectives or are they just showing up realizing, oh, crap, we lose this one and either running away or dying? So the way I tried to calculate that is I came up with a, an objectives per minute in losses. Um, and I did it for NA and EU. I tried to do it for LPL, but their match history isn't really the same. So basically, just to explain what I did is I went into every game, took the losing team, and took the amount of objectives. So that includes Towers, uh, Drakes, Rift Herald, Baron, um, inhibitors right any sort of objective that they got elder dragon um and added up the amount of objectives that the losing team got and divided it by the game time uh so the the specific numbers that i'm about to read aren't really important in themselves it's how they compare so the average objectives per minute in north america was 0.158 which doesn't really mean anything but in europe the average objectives per minute was 0.1774. And so if you do the percentages, it's actually a a little over, I think it's like 11% difference between them, Um, but it's over 10%. So it is, I I would call it uh, statistically significant. Mm -hmm. I only did this over the last week because uh, this is not a statistic that's tracked. It's a statistic that I had to go into every single match history and calculate and add up. Um, and 
I guess uh, another thing I wanted to share about the statistic is when I look at the NA numbers, I see it happening. I see in super late, like late games that went super late, high numbers, high numbers happening. So in um, some of the super late, late games that happened this week in NA, I saw 0.326 and 0.28, which I think is less of them trading objectives and more of, hey, we won half those fights and we lost half, which is why the game took longer and then eventually we lost the game. Whereas right. when I, and I also saw exact opposite side in NA, I saw where they got like almost no objective. So I also saw like 0.037, um, 0.057. Whereas when I looked at the EU stats, I did see some like 0.3125 um, statistics, so some really high ones, but I saw a lot of consistent ones that were like 0. 0.225, 0. 0.235, um, 0. 0.185, 0. 0.167. Like it was a lot less of a sporadic thing and more of a hey, all those teams actually had some objectives that they traded. So I, I just think, you know, we'll, really what I, I kind of wanted to share with you and the viewers from what I kind of got from this statistic. And I might go and develop it farther, like farther back in time to get more numbers to see if that changes how it looks. But at least in this recent week that NA teams aren't really trading objectives, it seems, as much as EU teams. And um, my conclusion from that was kind of what I expect, like it kind of confirmed my hypothesis that NA teams aren't really noticing, hey, we lose this and training something. They're going, they're, they're kind of sitting around because they're not sure, oh, maybe we can find a way to win this. Or, you know, they're not sure if they win this. So they have to go check, right? Um, and then they don't. Uh, and I, I think that's kind of a negative mindset. I think as a professional player, part of your job is to be able to recognize winning and losing scenarios. Like, hey, this Drake is 60-40, you know? Mm-hmm we could take the 60 40 fight or we could just go get rift herald uh put our bot lane top and throw the cash down there onto the adc and then while they're getting drake we we can get rift herald and then next fight comes around our adc or our mid laner or whoever they put that gold on is stronger and now it's no longer 60 40 for second drake or for third drake now now it's now it's 60 40 our favor or at least it's 50 50 now we should contest um, yeah and so that's just something I wanted to share share with you. Um, it, I know it's not like it's super objective, but but I think it actually does prove that. And and, I, and I'm hoping that you know um, you and others can can start to watch and see if you notice that in games. And I, I'm hoping to to find an easier way to calculate it, a faster way, so that I can do it over the whole split so far um mm -hmm. for maybe next podcast or the one after that yeah and i also think this is an interesting statistic because we were talking about chess earlier um mm -hmm. and that's something that you do in chess and i remember saying it too is that you're trading pieces in the beginning so that you, the opponent and you are left with the pieces that you have in the mid game and then you can make decisions based off that well if you're not effectively trading um, or you're trading down and you're making poor decisions or trading too late uh, in league, which can happen because you're time constrained, um, you actually are putting yourself in more of a losing situation. Um, and also something else to note about the EU average is that EU average game time is also two minutes shorter. So not only are they getting more objectives per minute in their losses, 
Um, it's also shorter. They're doing it over a shorter fr- uh, time frame. So, like, if you take the NA average game time of about 34 minutes, um, NA is averaging a little under five and a half objectives per game, and LEC is averaging over six, um, which is a pretty significant difference, like you were saying. Like, mm-hmm. and and that means that if a game were to go 34 minutes, those EU teams just have that much of an advantage. Like they have a whole over half of an objective of advantage, which can range anywhere from a hundred gold to a Baron buff, which is a lot. Um, so I, I don't know. I think that definitely, definitely trading objectives is something that NA needs to work on. Um, because even if you're the losing team, um you need to be taking more of a stance on okay they're doing this we can react by fighting here because that's what they want us to do Mm -hmm. let's do what they don't want us to do or don't expect us to do because that's what g2 did a lot last year that i heard a lot of commentary on was like g2 just traded objectives with people and then fought them when they wanted to fight like that's what made them special is that they were all god tier players who could team fight really well but like, if there was an objective happening, they're like, fine, we're just going to go to the objective that you're not defending at all because it's free. So why not take it? Like they right, would like win how- the objective trades every time because they would take a free one and then team fight them and win. Right. Why- that reminds me of the series against SKT where I think yeah. they, they, what did they get like one Baron in the whole series, but they won 3-1? No. Oh, like- yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they got one Baron and T, T, uh, T1 got four Barons and they lost. In the whole them. series. And, yeah. and they won, not not just three two, three one. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. So it's it's definitely all about how you trade objectives. Um, what you, what you trade to matters. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, yeah, it's not very valuable in most cases to trade just a tower for a dragon, for example. Um, but tower for Rift Herald actually works out like pretty well in terms of uh, gold, especially early ones where you're breaking down um, turret plates and getting first turret, like that's almost 800 gold going on to a carry if you give it to just the carry and then Rift Herald and walk away. Like, it's also about breakpoints too, because let's say yeah. let's say the other team's on, you know, three drakes uh, pretty early or, or, or even two, they'll, they'll go on to soul point if you let them have mm-hmm. that drake and then it's past 14 minutes and you take Rift, uh, you're not going to get the turret plate gold, and they're putting themselves into Soul or on Soul Point, that becomes less of a trade you want to take. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm not saying that you should always trade objectives, um, but you should try to get something. Like, if you know you're not going to win the fight or the, the odds are so terrible, you should try to get something. Mm-hmm. Um you know, sometimes it's better to take that forty sixty if you're the uh, the the trade objective is just terrible. You know, yeah. but but I think NA does you know sits around and, and does that a little too often currently. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's also I I think I'll I'll leave the conversation on this note for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's better to notice where your enemies aren't than where they are, and figuring out what you can do with where they're not at when you're in a losing situation. Um, because yeah. if, like you're saying, like a team is taking Dragon and it's past 14 minutes and it might put them on soul point, but you know that like fighting them might be a 70-30 fight because they have some sort of advantage and they're there first and they have all, like 
maybe what you do instead is, okay, you might have to take the Rift Herald, but you don't all have to take the Rift Herald. You could take the Rift Herald and even probably get down one or two turrets because the whole team's a dragon, right? So like being creative about the ways in which you respond to trading objectives, you can actually trade up even if your opposing uh, team is getting a better objective than you based off of how they chose to take it. Because if right. you're going into a search situation where they probably have a 70-30, most of the time that's a situation where they've invested a lot into doing that. So that means that other parts of the map are exposed. So you need to recognize that, hey, this is a really good situation for them. Where is a really good situation for us? Because they're investing so much here. That means that other parts of the map are being exposed. Um, mm -hmm. So figuring out where you can attack those pressure points. That's what G2 was really good at. Um, I, I would almost argue that that was actually the thing that they're better at than their early game or just being really skilled. Um, they were really good at recognizing, hey, they're investing too much here. We can punish them here and here. Um, or, hey, they're doing this objective. This is a better trade for us. Like, we'll always get a better trade. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I think that's, that's definitely something that shouldn't be um, discounted. Um, yeah. Then... I guess the last thing we had on LCS um, was this time ahead, close and behind, uh, unless you had something else you wanted to add before we get into that. Yeah, so but real quick before before you totally break that down, um, this graphic that, that we're going to be looking at and talking about, we'll, we'll have, I'll, I'll explain it real quick um, before you, if you, before you want to talk about it, and then we'll also post it on our Twitter so if you're driving right now, we'll give you a brief overview, you know, or doing something else where you can't look. Um, we'll kind of we'll briefly go over it. But if you actually do want to see it, it we're not going to be able to explain all of it. It's pretty detailed. Uh, we will post it on our Twitter. Um, so go, go ahead and check it out there. It'll be right under where we release the episode. Mm -hmm. But essentially, the, the, the infographic is um, kind of these bars for each team. And it's time ahead time close and time behind um and, it, and it's sorted by time ahead uh for each of the teams and this is actually from the week before this so it's a little bit outdated um but i believe you said jack that the only difference is tsm is is up one spot yeah um, otherwise think, it's very little change yeah i think clg and imt also each moved up one spot um but it was slighter changes than GG dropped a little and TSM increased a little rather than um, th th those were the biggest changes, I think. Okay, so I'll just go over the order of time ahead. Um, the time close and time behind actually follows pretty closely. Um, so if you take a look at it later, you'll, you can see that. But I think the big statistic here is, is the time ahead. So Cloud9's at, at the top at 56%. Uh, GG, who's no longer in second, apparently apparently TSM has passed them, so this has changed a little, is in second at 42%. Um, and then TSM is actually now in second, GG in third. Uh, TSM's old one was 40%, so it's probably up around 45 now. Yeah. Uh, Team Liquid's at 37% in fourth. Evil Genius is at fifth and 34%. FlyQuest in sixth at 26 percent and then there's a huge drop off down to 100 thieves at 16 percent clg at 15 percent dignitas seven percent immortals um six percent and uh, immortals has probably gone a, a bit up but still probably yeah. hasn't made that jump to where FlyQuest is at yeah um 
so so why don't you go ahead and talk about it? I kind of gave a little brief description, hopefully for yeah. those who can't so, look at it right um, now. I think the main reason why we want to talk about this infographic is basically like a lot of the game is about tempo and momentum. Um, so when you're thinking about taking those objectives and doing the trades, um, you're either it's on your tempo. You're the one who's starting the proposal of a trade. So you're saying, hey, I'm going to take this dragon right now. What is your response? Are you going to fight us? Well, we're probably stronger because we thought about this before we started taking the dragon. Um, are you going to respond with a trade? Um, so time ahead and time close and time behind are how often you have essentially the gold lead and the tempo, therefore, in your favor. Um, and we think that this is a pretty good indicator towards how strong a team is at being able to win a game. Uh, because when you have the tempo advantage, that means that teams have to follow your tempo. Um, and you're basically forcing them to make decisions and you're making the decision before they're forcing you to make it, um, which puts them off tempo. Um, and by this infographic, going into last week, GG was the second best team at this with the most time ahead, um, just barely above TSM and actually a higher uh, percentage above TSM with time close um, with a 43% of the time that the gold lead was within about uh, 1% of each other. Um, that Which means is crazy, right? Because yeah. they were two and four, but they were only behind 14% of the time. That just seems crazy to me. <laughs> right. That's... And that's actually absolutely absurd. It's it's like they're losing the games just as fastly, at, just as quickly as they're gaining their leads. Is basically what that's saying. So this is one of those unique circumstances where GG is actually built up to be a very strong team that builds a very early lead, maintains that lead, and then crashes and burns. They're trying to close. They absolutely blunder and then lose the game off of that one blunder. Um, that, that's at least what the stats would show from this. Um, because if you lined up everyone's records against this, um, that would basically become blatantly obvious to you because they're the only team that has below 50% win rate that's in the top even six of these stats. Yeah. Um, and CLG being so low too. Now, obviously, they've climbed up a spot um, since then, so it puts them a little bit closer to where they are. Um, but they actually have the highest percentage of time being close. And I think that the reason why this is, is because they lose their lane so much. So um, early game where the gold is low and minor gold changes don't actually have as big of an impact on the game. Mm -hmm. um, it keeps the stat so that they're relatively close to each other. Um, it also increases their behind a little bit. But since they're winning games post-20 minutes with better macro and not necessarily better gold, um, they're one of those unique teams where they're in the top half or top six, what have you, um, but in the bottom third or bottom three of um, this time statistic. Um, I will say that it's not shocking that C9 has such a low time behind. I think that goes along with the fact that I say that they have zero blunders. Um, sure, they might have some mistakes, maybe even in the early game, um, but, but they're never really behind or necessarily coming back that heavily. Uh, mm -hmm. I think the biggest deficit they've had is like 2 or 3K around 10 or 12 minutes. Um, and even then, like that's not insurmountable for them. 
just because they've been trading effectively. So even though what they've been trading might not have been worth gold, um, they've been trading map pressure or vision or uh, maybe even CS leads in different lanes. Um, so because of that, they're doing effective trading, which is giving them tempo advantages in the mid to late game stages. Um, right. They're also closing out super fast, which means that this time ahead stat is also compounded with the fact that they have much shorter games. So that means that they're also blitzkrieging and winning games off of one play very often, um, which I think is really cool. Um, it's kind of like the reversal of the GG stat, where GG is getting these huge leads early and then throwing off of one play like c9 is slowly developing a lead and then winning off of one play so they're like consistently staying ahead making good trades and then winning off of one key point um mm -hmm. which is i think like what the ideal league team should be doing they should be getting incremental advantages trading effectively and then winning the game off of one key play that you were able to make because you had these advantages and you were forcing the tempo um so in my mind, this stat just shows that C9 is definitely playing perfectly. Um, it shows there's a lot of potential here for GG. Um, I think it shows that TSM is doing very well because their time uh, behind is also very low. It's comparable to GG's um, in that regard, while also maintaining the same um, time ahead percentage stat. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the interesting thing is the fall off actually between EG and FlyQuest, but the fact that we think that FlyQuest is doing better than EG, at least I do. Mm -hmm. And I think that main reason is because FlyQuest is keeping the game even and effectively trading against teams they're playing against because they have like the second, maybe actually, no, the fourth highest time close stat at 48%. And the other teams that are below them are like 100T, CLG, DIG are like the teams above them. But I'm really kind of discounting DIG and CLG just because DIG's been losing all their games. So the reason the time closes there is it's mainly the beginning of the game where the CS and all of that is still pretty comparable. Um, FlyQuest is deliberately keeping the game close, doing effective trading, and then trying to win off of these pivotal moments. Um, it's kind of reflecting Cloud9 a little bit, um, but the difference is obviously in their players and their style that they play. Uh, FlyQuest is heavily playing through Power of Evil. Um, Santorin is mainly there for PoE, not the other way around, like it is with Blabber and Niski. Um, and Solo and Licorice are actually pretty similar. Um, but they would both also be playing pretty even. Um, and then I guess there is differences in the bottom lane. You know, you've got Mash in now, who we haven't seen in a while, um, paired alongside Ignar, who loves to roam, um, as opposed to Vulcan and Sven. Vulcan's been just able to be, without even roaming too excessively, he's been able to be where all of the action is. Um, he actually has the most assists out of everyone in the LCS right now. Um, and Niski is only like a couple behind him too. So because of that, they almost have this effective trio roaming going on where they're able to just pick up kills and objectives all across the map with three players um, on C9, I should say, 
And FlyQuest is almost trying to emulate that with the type of players they have, except instead of their carry being Blabber in their jungle and following whatever objectives the jungler would normally get, they're instead trying to funnel it on to PoE, which will naturally elongate the game. Because instead of going for neutral objectives, you're trying to help someone with their lane. Um, So that's obviously going to keep the game a little bit closer over a longer period of time as this more scaling player ramps up. Um, So I think what this graph is showing is you can see which teams are playing to their win conditions and how they're doing it. Um, And what we see is if you go down this line, um, some of those things aren't surprising, but I think that the GG one is by far the most. Um, and that, like I was saying before, they could definitely become a top tier team if they could just shape up how to close. Um, and you're talking about, um, the Reddit post that you made and the people that you've been talking with and how, uh, scrims might play a factor in that too. I well, think it, it's, it's that. funny. Yeah. It's just funny because closer can't close. So <laughs> it's just a little bit ironic. Indeed. Um, um, but I, I don't mean to cut you off, but but yeah. um, I think we we there's a lot to talk about with this infographic, and I think the best way, you know, for for people to really get their big takeaways from it is is to kind of look at it. So if you can't yeah. look at it now, definitely look at it later. Um, come, it'll it'll be one of the, the front things on our Twitter. Come check it out. Drop a like. Um, speaking of Twitter, we do need to move on to Twitter questions. Um, yes. And then some other uh, games because we are almost at two hours already. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're kind of hitting our limit. Yeah. Um, we had a Twitter question from this week. Um, this one's from Christopher, who's at the Book of Elist. Sorry, I probably mispronounced that, but that's okay. I'm not the best. Um, Christopher says, Is Broken Blade over slash underrated? And how would he thrive on a team that isn't TSM? Um, I've actually kind of thought about this this week and, mm-hmm. and I think he's probably, this is going to sound like a weird answer cause they're going to kind of contradict each other. Um, I think he's probably a little bit overrated. Um, but I, but just because I think he's really good at, at a couple specific things rather than being just an all around great top laner, but I think mm-hmm. he would thrive actually really well on a team that's not D- uh, TSM. I think if, he was on a team that 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 played to him the way that uh, C9 plays to Blabber, or the way that Golden Guardians plays to Closer, or um, the way that FlyQuest plays to Power of Evil. Right, TSM. There's so many stars; they don't really play around Broken Blade right now. But I think if he played on a different team, where he was um, the attention and the main carry, I actually think he would do really, really well. I think he's the type of player who does really sets up ganks for his jungler and also once he gets ahead he will steamroll um any other top laner and and i think he is one of the players that you never want to let get a couple kills early because he will absolutely apply so much pressure um so much pressure uh in the split push and he doesn't get caught out that much when he gets ahead so I actually think he would thrive really well on, on a team that's not TSM, but I am going to say he's a little bit overrated uh, only because I think people take how good they've seen him with attention and kind of apply that everywhere. When I think when he's not the focus of attention, he's more of a middle of the pack top winger. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, 
I'm going to take this a little bit more. I'm going to try zooming out first and then zooming in. So I think that in the greater context of like league in terms of major regions, um, he's overrated. Um, and I'll, I'll say that like being a TSM fan and also a Broken Blade fan, I like watching the dude and he's a really good player. Um, but I don't see him being like a top 10 top laner in all the major regions. Like, sure, I think that his style is very close to the shy, but he isn't the shy. He's not like an LPL mm -hmm. top laner. He's not as consistent as an LCK top laner. Um, and he's not as creative as the top top laners in EU, like Whippo and um, uh, Wonder, where they're playing all these weird champions. Like, Broken Blade is pretty... He has his champion pool, and it's actually quite large. Um, but he doesn't always get able to tap into it at all the time. Um, and that, coupled with the fact that his natural playstyle is playing a carry, whereas the meta isn't really in his favor to do that very well, um, also kind of hurts him a little bit. And I would say that if we zoom in, in terms of LCS, and if we were to include minor regions in that, like Turkey, where he came from, like he's probably the best top laner to come out of Turkey. Um, and um, I think that he is underrated in the LCS. Um, I think that TSM doesn't quite use him to his fullest potential. I think that they were when they were catering to him and having him play carries in the top lane. And um, Bjergsen was kind of playing tanks in the mid lane, which was actually mm -hmm. working out for a time. Um, and I think that they're still trying to figure out that play style with Doublelift on the team now, now that you have so many people who are all good mechanically at the game, um, have a good understanding of macro, and all can play carries while also being able to flex into different unique pocket picks. Um, I think that actually makes out for a really good team. And it's hard for me to say that Broken Blade would fit well on another team. Um, I guess what would be good is I think that he could probably be good on FlyQuest. He could add a little bit more pressure to top lane to ease some off of Power of Evil. Um, and the rest of the team doesn't really change because you still have Santorin catering to mid lane and Ignar roaming to mid lane too. So now you just have a better top laner because uh, I do think he's better than Solo and I think he applies more pressure than Solo. Um, and I think he's better when it comes to having some jungle pressure um, at responding to that or utilizing it if he were given jungle attention. Um, he would probably improve. It would actually just be a playstyle change to put him on GG, so I wouldn't say that because I think Haunter is really good at split pushing and he's also really good at tanks. So putting Haunter in would just completely change the team. I don't well, know. Well, but. They'd be really good because him and Closer used to be teammates. So I think him That's and Closer true. would kind of run away with it. With chemistry, you could actually start. You could actually do a complete swap um, where they would just start playing through top lane mm -hmm. on GG and then play scaling um, in the mid lane with a roaming support. They could do I that. Think, didn't they beat um, Clutch Gaming at Worlds last year or in the playing stage? Or, or if they didn't, they at least like. Got, got really close. Uh, Broken Blade wasn't there, obviously, but uh, Clerter was yeah. still on that team. And, and that's yes. with their new top laner who they've been trying to play around, who's I, I would be confident saying is not as good as Broken Blade. So, uh, yeah. I mean, we've seen him and Broken Blade do really well together, so I think they would do well. 
Yeah, I guess I guess that's true. That's what I was trying to think about was I was like, well, he would have the synergy with closer, but it would just be a completely different team. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be confident in saying how well that would work out. I'd be confident about the FlyQuest one because you're just substituting in a better player that would add add to the team. So I'm trying to think of teams where he would add value. Um, for EG, he might add value just because he's better than Kumo. Again, it'd be the same argument for Solo. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why they're going to be so good with Huni, um, is that they're just going to have that added benefit. But now I'm not as confident in that because I see a little bit more glaring macro issues that EG has. And that's not something that uh, Broken Blade solves. Um, I don't necessarily think that he would he would definitely add value on bottom teams. So I'm not trying to say like, oh, why not 100T or Immortals or Dignitas? Like they're all bad. But obviously he would add value there. (laughs) Obviously he would add value there. I just don't think he would thrive there, which was the Right, right. And that is the question. I definitely think that he would thrive on teams like FlyQuest, EG, and GG. Um, GG, it would completely change the team. So I'm not as confident in saying that. They would have to do that change, and I don't know how abrasive they would be to that. But on FlyQuest and EG, he'd immediately add value, um, and it would be good for him. Um, And they would have some way of catering to him, um, at least a little bit. Uh, EG has Svenskeren, who his entire job has always been to buff up other players, um, kind of like on the same level of Xmithy, while also being pretty good in his own skirmishes. Um, And FlyQuest just needs that extra pressure in top lane. Um, so they would obviously already welcome that change. Um, I, I don't really see anywhere else where that would benefit for him. Um, Cloud9 is already pretty set. You don't want to change something that's already looking that good. I, I honestly do believe that like his best team right now is TSM. So it's hard for me to say that he would be good on a different one. Um, GG, if they did those changes, would probably be better with him. Um, I wouldn't say better than TSM, but it would be a better synergy than what TSM is currently doing. Um, So I'd say it'd be better for him if they made those changes. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they already have an ex-TSM top laner. They don't need another. Right. Um, And I would would always say um, to those questions, uh, I actually really like those Twitter questions, like over or underrated. Mm -hmm. I do think that it has to come with that context of, is someone overrated? Like, right. Like, what is their rating in terms of, okay, we're a major region, so in terms of all of the major regions, how are they rated? And then how are they rated in terms of where they've come from and then where they currently are? He's definitely underrated from where he came from. He's definitely the best top laner from Turkey. I think he's underrated in the LCS just because they see how he plays and this isn't the best team for him, um, at least in the way that it's currently made. But right now, if you look at all of the LCS teams, it's the best team for him, which kind of sucks. Um, and he's overrated in regards to um, the entirety of the major regions. Like he's not as creative as the top teams in LEC, and he's just straight up not as good as the uh, better top laners in LCK and LPL. So because of that, it just makes him automatically under uh, overrated. Yep. <clears throat> All right. Thank you, Christopher, for the Twitter question. Um, yeah, thank you. Please, uh, anyone who listens, feel free to ask us a Twitter question. Um, hit us up on Twitter. Uh, we specifically ask for them a couple days after the release of each podcast episode. Uh, 
you will get your Twitter question answered if, if it's a relevant question. Like we have yeah. not rejected a question because uh, it's we if it, if it has to do with league, we've answered it. So or Valorant or TFT or Legends of Runeterra. So yes. if you want to hear us answer those, let us know. Uh, now we'll move into Valorant, TFT, and Legends of Runeterra this week. We're really not going to talk about them. We're going to do 30-second patch rundowns on each, 30-second quick reactions, pull up, pull the gun. Um, next week, we will talk about them more. Uh, I think the big thing is there isn't a lot as much to talk about as there is with League uh, because there's no the, n- nothing huge has happened in any of the pro scenes with any of them. Um, so we will talk about them more as bigger patches come out, but we'll, we'll quickly go through. So... I'll run down Valorant. Uh, Valorant, the big updates is, is kind of two things. The first is the Guardian. The price was, of the Guardian was reduced from 2700 to 2500 um, The rate of fire was reduced from 6.5 to 4.75. Penetration power was increased from medium to heavy. And the input, uh, the input queue was updated from 0.083 to 0.1175. So basically, it was... They're saying it was too close to um, the Phantom and the Vandal, and they're trying to make it more of a, like an econ weapon still, while still being like long range and, and strong, right? Because they want to maintain and focus on that, you know, semi-auto, not quite sniper, not quite assault rifle. Um, but they want to make it cheap enough that people actually buy it. Um, so they changed that. And the other biggest update is. Uh, just kind of some competitive changes. Uh, there's a surrender change where for unrated mode, you only need to vote 40, like 40% or sorry, 80% of the team needs to vote. So four out of five need to vote to surrender for unrated. Uh, for competitive, it's still unanimous. But the big change is in competitive, there's now a new win by two overtime format with the voting. So basically how it works is you hit 12 to 12, and instead of the single sudden death round like like normal, uh, because it is so close, the the teams will alternate playing rounds on attack and defense until. So you're going to go attack defense, attack defense, attack defense, and you're gonna you're just gonna swap off until someone's uh, wins by two, basically. Uh, mm-hmm. And each round, um, it, it, it's gonna reset, and you're gonna get this four point short of your ultimate, the five thousand credits. So there's not really going to be any econ worries there. Um, the, the other big thing is after every two rounds, right? So if it's been two rounds and someone didn't just win two and win by two, um, there's going to be a vote and it's going to, you can vote to end it in a draw instead of continuing basically so that these games don't go on forever. And it's going to be easier and easier to vote tie. So first vote, it's going to be six players out of 10 are needed to end it in a draw. So majority Second vote, only three players need to vote for it to end in a draw. Third vote, you only need one player to end it in a draw. And it probably will be by then. And the other nice thing is you might gain rank off of a draw, but you'll never lose rank. So you can't lose your rank by voting draw, so you don't have to feel pressured, right? If you're like, I really am done with this game, it's just going to be a tie, or I have to go do something. You don't have to feel like, well, I'm losing LP. You know, I'm, lo- I'm losing my rank for this. You'll, you'll keep your rank. Um, just to quickly give my um, thoughts, I never use the Guardian. I might try it now. I think that's a good, good change there. Um, and, and and I like this win by two because personally, I feel upset when 
um, I'm on, let's say I'm on attack side first and I'm really good on attack and we win a lot, but then they run it back and run the same score on when, when they're on attack. But since I'm already on defense, I have to play the overtime on defense, which the other team was with, which both teams were a lot worse at. And I just feel like my team's at a disadvantage. Um, and I don't really like it. So I like that you're going to get both sides and I like that it's win by two. So a team has to be definitively have, you know, wins like had a win streak a little bit instead of just, okay, basically the game boils down to this one round. It boils down to a couple of rounds. Um, and I like that. And I feel that it's not going to be oppressive due to the, the, the draw voting. What do you think, Chad? Um, well, what I will say about it is that I definitely like this way better just because there are some new strategies coming out with more aggressive types of uh, team compositions with running two duelists. Um, and those are more attack sided. And also the way they play defense is really interesting where they're trying to play for retakes rather than actually holding sites for a long time and stalling. Um, and because of that, when you're building team comps like that, it's inherently more risky. So this enables teams to be able to make those risks because you're able to potentially go into these circumstances where there's a more drawn out overtime rather than getting stuck on a side. Like if you made this attack based comp because you started attack and then they ran it back, kind of like you're saying, well, now you're not playing your comp in its ideal position um, in overtime where it's the most important game. Um, and that's just that's just a feels bad moment. So I think that this was a welcome change. I think that this is a great way also of differentiating from uh, CSGO. Um, CSGO games are way too long. They're like uh, best of 30 matches instead of best of 24, mm -hmm. which is what Valorant did very well, was changing it so that the timing of the games is a bit shorter rather than like hour-long games. You're getting closer to 40-minute games to 30 even. Um, and they did the same thing with overtime. Um, which is CSGO adds a, basically a six-game max where it's a best of three on either side. Or you play three rounds of either side, and whoever gets four wins. Right. That'll keep going as long as you keep drawing, which I never understood because that just overcomplicates it. Why not do what Valorant is now doing, which is a win by two where you just alternate every single round and whoever can win two in a row that shows that they're both good at attack and defense. Uh, that's the way that it should go. So it keeps the game shorter while still also providing the same advantages to either side um, rather than giving one side an advantage of being on defense or being on attack with their composition. Um, so welcome change. Uh, the last thing I'll say on Valorant is that uh, Sage is overrated. She should not be forced to be splashed into every team comp, and it is becoming more and more proven. So that that that'll be my spicy ending to uh, what I have to say about Valorant. You, you'll 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 get people to agree with you when another healer is released. How about that? Uh, let's <laughs> let's move on to TFT. Do you want to do you want to give a quick rundown on what what the yeah. TFT changes were? Yeah, so TFT, uh, I think the, actually the most interesting thing was the Urgot adjustments. Um, it's a lot to read, but basically he now kind of acts a little bit more like a really, really powerful Yasuo. Um, and, oh, there was another unit that I was going to compare him to, but he's just so unique. Uh, <laughs> he, he will definitely still be good. 
Um, so right now he's being splashed in a lot of comps. Um, and I think he still will be, but it's a little bit more particular about how you position against him. So they've made positioning against Urgot easier, which I like. Um, that being said, Urgot himself is still really strong. So you can still actually position him in good positions. Um, which I just position him in good positions, kind of whatever. Anyway, um, also the two S tier comps right now, which are cybernetics and sorcerers, actually there's three, but two of them have gotten a nerf and, uh, the other S tier comp has gotten like a pseudo buff, I guess, uh, because the other two got a nerf and Mm -hmm. that is, um, brawlers blasters and sometimes splashing battle cast in there as well. Um, that's still S tier and that's still going to be pretty strong S tier. Um, my hot take is that, uh, dark star champions have been gradually buffed, buffed over the past buffed, like, yep. five patches. Um, so I'm assuming that an all dark star origin comp, which we saw at the very beginning of galaxies doing pretty well, um, or dark star snipers or even dark star infiltrators, uh, might come back as a really, really strong comp. It might not happen this patch um, because it's not very popular to play. Um, and the meta is really strong around good frontline, and Darkstar doesn't really have the best frontline. Um, but if they get buffed a couple more times, then all of that ability, power, and uh, attack damage buffs that they'll get as more and more of their units die um, is actually going to turn into a pretty sizable amount on these already base stat buffed champions uh so keep an eye out for dark stars uh right now Jin's getting buffed jarvin's getting buffed um and those were the two big notable ones because they had a lot of their stats um increased so be on the lookout dark star could be coming back um, which is exciting yeah um just to give my tft comp like little comp game of the week um I do want to acknowledge the one I brought up the other week with the Little Legends where everyone just left. Little Legends is removed. So, you know, if you <laughs> yeah. hated Little Legends, um, I really can't say, but yes, it was us that got it removed, and you can thank us by following us and liking us on Twitter um, and listening to us on Spotify or Anchor. Um, we complained. It was all of our complaints that we issued to Riot directly. I actually sent them a couple nasty letters and sent to their tft office so well, you, you didn't know that right that that mort listens to our podcast yeah <laughs> he does so he heard me say that and he was like oh i guess i have to um but anyways the tft comp of the week that i saw that that, that that's just got quote-unquote adjusted aka hard nerfed um is ergot i saw this game where skara went he went blue buff shojin rfc ergot his team comp sucked, but he just threw a bunch of people on the front line, and basically this Urgot just constantly ulted. And basically just, and, and because Urgot ults, it's got RFC and it's ulting the, black, the, the back line. Yeah. Everyone else's carries would just get eaten and eaten and eaten and eaten. And Skara used like a, a, an early bard to kind of get him to the levels. And he just hard leveled until he could and then just hard rolled for Urgot and then just put all these items on Urgot. And it was just, it was so busted. I, I, I believe it was Skara. Um, it it, it yeah. could have also been Keen. Um, you should check them both out for TFT if you're looking to watch something. But 
it I mean just this ergot with RFC blue buff Shojin, it was safe and never took damage because it was always behind the front line and it was just constantly ulting and because it's true damage, right? It just insta kills you. It was the Urgot was doing like ten thousand true damage every round. It was insane. And and straight onto the carries too. It's not like it's just getting frontline. It's straight onto the carries. Right. That's pretty cool. Yeah, um, pretty crazy. My game of the week was so actually I have a comment before I get into my game of the week, which okay, is okay. TFT for whatever reason keeps giving me Star Guardian sorcerers and then AD items, and I'm really not about it. Um, it's it's really bothering me because I keep getting items for a like pretty good comps and then not being able to hit those units. So I keep having to use weird ass items on AP comps and then getting like third or fourth places instead of first. So that makes me feel salty. But yeah. um, the best game that I had with this comp um, was I did a mech sorcerer comp with uh, Riven. Um, mm and no star guardian so it was like uh four sorcerer riven and then mech pilot as my front line oh, wow. it actually worked out really well um because even though i had ad items i was able to put some of them on my riven and then some of them as more defensive items on the mech um and i think i got first in that one but then i was given like almost the exact same comp the next game like the very next game i was like all right mm -hmm. i played that comp like i'm not gonna play that again like that's a very unique comp nope uh because that's all i hit the next game so for whatever reason sorcerers are just attracted to my ip address uh, <laughs> and i keep getting them but the next game i played it and someone else i i shit you not played the exact same composition and beat me because he had better items nice. uh, and I, I got like a fifth or something or a fourth place um I so uh, I'm shouting out two games in a row where I played the exact same composition, got pretty similar items, and one game was a first and the other game was a fifth. So take your games with a grain of salt, children. Yeah, I actually got first in a game where I went um, Mech Riven, but it was Mech Infiltrator, and I put Infiltrator on Riven, and oh. it's just disgusting. Um, yeah, that sounds pretty disgusting. It was just, it was just... Yeah, because I, I got the perfect items for mech too. So my mech was just doing so much damage and 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 getting all the front line and the, their back line was just couldn't take out the mech and it was up to the front line and it just wasn't happening. Like my mech wasn't dying most of the time. It was pretty yeah. funny. Huh. Um, but yeah, that's that's it for me for TFT for this week. Um, I don't know if you had any other uh, things you wanted to say. Hot take, eight battle cast is going to be the best thing. All right. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. I'll, I'll uh, fight your eight battle cast with eight dark stars. See you eight, then. eight battle cast and eight dark stars is the best comp. Um, Legends of Runeterra. Yes, Legends of Runeterra. So this one I'll take. Um, this is actually a very short patch notes, which I was not that surprised by, actually. Um, they said that they're making more substantial balance changes in 1.6 and since they just made big balance changes with 1.4 i assumed this would be a lighter patch the main thing that they did was they nerfed nab decks from bilgewater um, by increasing the cost of pilfered goods by one so now you can't play it as early um, or as efficiently um, i think this is overall healthy for the game because right now nab is getting splashed in way too many decks um, 
And obviously there are more important problems, but those are all getting addressed in 1.6, like the pace of the game and how strong Noxus is and aggro burn. Um, so that's all things that will be addressed, but the easy thing for them to fix right now was uh, the splashing of Bilgewater across a bunch of decks just for the sake of having pilfered goods um, and stealing cards from the other deck. Um, and because they were able to do that now, they did it. So for those of you who have been splashing Bilgewater, it's not going to be as efficient for you anymore. Um, it's going to be more niche, actually, um, which I think is good for it just because then you're going to have less people playing that style uh, as we as the game evolves. Um, and over the next coming weeks to months, um, if it stays relatively the same in terms of Bilgewater, um, you're going to be able to play more of these decks without people knowing exactly what to do against it. Um, so I think it's overall healthy for it. It doesn't make it significantly worse. Um, it does in the short term. Um, but over time, it should actually stabilize uh, the game. So very quick nerfs. Um, my hot take is the faster faster cards win. So all your one-cost deal damage straight to the Nexus cards, just throw them all on there, just play cards and win the game. Yeah, I, I actually played a little bit because I didn't like being technically Iron 4. Um <laughs> I don't quite have all the cards for the um, Freljord deck, but I tried, and it actually works anyways most of the time. I would just say that like sometimes if I play a Freljord deck that actually has the cards, I just lose. Um, yeah. But other than that, like I don't even have all the cards, and, and I will be winning. So Yeah, Iron is really yeah. easy to get out of. Uh... At each stage, you get different levels of really, like, feels bad decks to play against. Like, all of Bronze right now, they're all playing Kinku Elusives, which now I have devolved into playing. Uh, <laughs> because literally everyone else is playing it at my ELO, so I'm like, well, okay, I gotta play it till I get out of it, because I can play it better than they can. Um, and some variation of Aggro Burn which Kinku Elusive's counters. So it's actually good that I'm playing it. Um, and then in the next stage, it's going to be a lot of high revise, um, lots of control-based decks, and then I can go back to my mid-range Freljord deck against those, um, which does well against Deep too, which you see sporadically throughout everywhere because Deep's just really fun for some people to play. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. My hot take is play cards, win game. Play Kinku Elusives, get Masters, win game. Yeah, I actually, I um, I actually keep one of one of the funny things that happened to me that that I'll share is I I keep that I forget what the card's called, but it's a two cost and it basically turns one of your units elusive. Um, and I've noticed a lot of low elo players like go hard on elusive, so I actually oh, keep yeah. one of those cards in my Freljord deck. And I was playing someone and they just started throwing elusives down and trying to rush me. Um, cause I didn't have any elusives. Uh, I drew Braum and I made him elusive and I just tanked everything and made it Braum super strong and put a bunch of take hearts on him and, and won the game. It was pretty funny. The guy was pretty mad. He, he surrendered before it was even clear that I was going to win cause he was just frustrated. Yeah. I could see how that would be very frustrating to play against. And the <laughs> Braum just sounds terrifying. 
and I and I like pretty much like just tanked everything with with with, oh. with the Brom. It was pretty funny. Oh, I have to tell you my game of the week for this one before we. Go. Oh yeah, yeah. So I was actually watching uh, Giant Ninja stream who we had on uh, Zach. Ooh. And he was playing, um, he's doing his climb right now back up to Diamond and then eventually to Masters. Um, but mm-hmm. he's in a gold He's in a gold two game, I think, because um, he just started climbing. And, um, oh my god, what was it? It was, it was a Shadow Isles deck that he was playing against with Ionia Splash. And he was like, huh, that's weird, like... I haven't seen a single Ionia card yet. Like he hasn't played a single spell Uh-oh. or anything <laughs> at all. It's been all Shadow Isles. <laughs> and he's like, and he's playing Heimer Vice. So he's like, fuck it. Like I'll play this spell, like whatever. And it was like something to actually like win him the game. And <laughs> it gets denied. We find out later that the deck is three denies. And that's all that's from Ionia. Oh, that's Shadow cool Isles three out. deny. Yeah, it's a full Shadow Isle 3 deny deck. So oh <laughs> it's just a deck that's not even from the net. It's just like we're gonna play Shadow Isles control and then deny whenever we have the opportunity to. And I, I, I just, thought that was super funny. I just think of doing that sometimes. I'm so glad someone actually did. Sometimes I'm like, I'm so fed up with some of these things that I'm just like I'm like, you know what? I might just put three denies on my deck for no reason. But I've never I've never had the um the confidence to do it so i'm, I'm glad someone's doing it <laughs> that's yeah awesome. someone else did a uh shadow isles for all your deck that's full control that's uh basically a healing deck it's it's anti-damage basically it's all the healing units where play this card and get health to your nexus or mm-hmm. like um withering whale and uh grasp of the undying where you just keep getting health back and it's just a deck where you stall until you get to the end of the game, and then you have like a bunch more cards than them, and you basically outlast burn. I think it's really interesting, but I hate watching it because I'm like, "Wow, you're just waiting. Like this you're just, so boring, you're just making the game longer. <laughs> it's yeah. really boring to watch. That's funny. Um, but yeah, that's also something that's meta right now. It's Brahmanivia too. Um, if you're wanting to try that out. Uh, Brahmanivia Shadow Isles. It's an interesting. It's an interesting one. Gotcha. <sighs> well, I think I think that sums it up for the week. Um, yeah. You can check us out. We we host this podcast on Anchor.fm, but it's on all sorts of podcast uh, websites. The big one is Spotify. Check us out on Twitter at Small Talk Big Brain um, is our handle. Ask us Twitter questions. We'll answer them. Uh, Anything to say on the way out? Uh, I actually have something. For those of you who are going to go on to our Twitter, um, and after listening to this episode, which is definitely the longest one we've had, like, mm-hmm. how many, what other podcasts do you listen to? Like, tweet us at, at our Small Talk Big Brain Twitter handle, uh, and let us know what other podcasts you listen to, and if this is the longest one you do listen to, because that would be an interesting thing for me to know. Right. Uh, another interesting thing I would say is our podcast is available on Anchor, it's on Breaker, it's on Spotify, it's on Google Podcasts, it's on Overcast, it's on Pocket Cast, it's on Radio Public. Yeah. Th- those are all the ones that I know. Um, if, if anyone is listening to our, our podcast and would rather have it on some other podcast service, uh, please tweet at us. I will put it on there. I will make sure it gets oh, yeah. on there for you so you can listen to it however you want. So... 
please tweet at us for that too. Let us know. All right. Cool. All right. Have a, have a good week. Make sure you watch those LCS games and we'll, we'll see you next week. Yeah. See you next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>